They filmed it. They filmed it in uh, entirely in New York. Yeah. Cool. Crazy. Which is where you mean like John? You Cruz's, mean like New York State, right? New York State, yeah. yeah. Upstate New York. Did you know New York is <laughs> there's more of New York State than there is of New York City? Did you know that? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Jesse. And I'm Mike, and we're coming at you with some too quiet, too furious energy today. Oh, Power. too furious. <laughs> I'm so quietly furious. We're joined today by a couple of very special guests, Dom and Letney. How are you guys doing today? Good. <laughs> we're, so special. we're so special that we got invited back to do part two this is amazing yeah. thank you so much it's because we got yeah. bones to pick with you oh it's, no, I'm it's kidding. two I'm for kidding. two it's two for two it is two for two yeah yeah two for two for part two there we go <laughs> two two quiet two place two, two oh, and what we're doing tonight is a quiet place part two a quiet place part yeah. two because we did a quiet place part one sometime in the past i can't remember if it's one week past or two week past at this point but if y'all have heard that, this is us talking about the sequel, which came out uh, earlier this year. So this is technically kind of a new release, so we're kind of going to treat it as a new release, too. And uh, today is also different, because I am hosting, not Vito, because Vito, I don't know, something about a baby. I wasn't listening. Uh, I, I, I thought that he was trying to do some, like, you know, quiet place but stuff, but then the monsters killed him. So, uh yeah, so he's not going to host anymore. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he's, he's a really noisy person. He's off to the quiet place. <laughs> the place where you never stop being quiet. That's great. The, the great quiet place in the sky. Uh, he's in too quiet, too place right now. But uh, we're here talking about A Quiet Place Part 2. Yeah, and we just figured... All right, so so I, I'm trying to figure out what we're doing because we decided to do A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place Part 2. And since we were doing these two, we decided to add signs as part of this new series. So I guess it's kind of a series that we're doing now. And I think the series, if I could name it anything, and I'm announcing this to everybody, including my co-host, uh, <laughs> it'd be intro-level horror family-type movies. That's a hmm. terrible title, so we're probably going to scrap that. I think that the idea was, so we really want to do Last Night in Soho by Edgar Wright, which is coming out at the end of this month on October 30th. Right. Uh, because Edgar Wright is a dude we all love dearly. And Last Night in Soho is like a major foray into horror, right? We oh. thought, hey, you know what would be fun is to do A Quiet Place 1 and A Quiet Place 2 before that. And then... We were like, oh, with time and everything, it ended up that we needed to do a couple other episodes. So after this one, we're going to have a very special episode next week that will fit with a Halloween-y theme. And then after that, I think we'll be signs. Is that the order? I don't know what the order is. I feel like I we're switching stuff up is. every day. All, all I can say <laughs> about the special episode is... <laughs> <laughs> Brains! <laughs> 
<laughs> that's all we're going to say about that. That's coming everybody's way soon. Interesting. <laughs> Super soon. Oh, and some of the people that are in this movie have been involved with some of that. Yeah. All right. I can't wait to hear more about the people in this movie. Now, we went over a little bit in last week, but Dob, can you take us through who is making A Quiet Place Part 2? Yes, of course. So, returning to direct, we have John Krasinski. Uh, This, of course, is his fourth movie, Quiet Place Part 1 being his third. This time around, he's the only screenwriter. He's the only credited screenwriter. Brian Woods and Scott Beck, the, the writers of the previous movie, declined to return because they wanted to focus on original projects. Also, this time, John Krasinski is a producer instead of an executive producer. I think that's just like slightly more prestigious of a title. And he's also in it again. Uh, He's in, of course, the opening flashback scene for about, I don't know, five or ten minutes. And then, again, it's produced by Michael Bay. And the sound team also is returning. Uh, That's Eric Adol and Ethan Vanderein. And Marco Beltrami also returned to compose the music. So that's our returning crew. For our returning cast, we have the wonderful Emily Blunt as Evelyn, uh, Millicent Simmons as Regan, and Noah Jupe as Marcus. There's another returning character who's recast in this one, actually. So Bo, Bo Abbott, the youngest son that you see in the flashback, he's the same character, but he's played by a, the younger brother of the original kid. So that's Dean oh. Woodward as opposed to Cade Woodward, because, you know, oh. it's two years later, so they had to recast just like it. him, so, like, it I know, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Uh, so then for our, so the cast on this one is a lot bigger uh, and there are a couple of notable cast members this time around that are new. So we have Killian Murphy as Emmett, who's the biggest new character in this movie, probably best known, I guess, best known to, to the average moviegoer for being in a lot of Christopher Nolan movies. Um, so that's the dark, the entire Dark Knight trilogy. He's one of only five actors who were in all three movies. Uh, he's also in Inception and Dunkirk and of course also 28 Days Later and he is in 32 episodes of Peaky Blinders as Thomas mm. Selby. And he's okay, also... Wait, wait. Uh, I, sorry, I have to ask. Yeah, of course. Who the hell is he in the Dark Knight trilogy? Scarecrow, Scarecrow. dude. Yeah. Oh, he's Scarecrow. Yeah. He's Scarecrow, yeah. Oh, so he has shit, a, he's the, that guy. Yeah, totally. I did not so know the, it was that the secondary, <laughs> The second villain in Batman Begins. And then he's in one scene in The Dark Knight and one scene in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, this is one of the guys who I always see, and I'm, I never know who it is, but I'm always like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's that guy. Scare, uh, Scarecrow, yeah. yeah. It's creepy, dude. Yeah, and yeah. one of his upcoming movies is oh. Christopher Nolan's next movie, which Ooh. is about uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who is one of the scientists on the Manhattan Project. So that I, should be very exciting. I'm, I'm so stoked for that, unless it oh, yeah. somehow ties to the tenant verse, in which case... Oh, it'll be, t- it'll, be t- it'll be tenant, yeah. <laughs> well, what it'll if, be tenant. What if it's preliminary to the Inception, no, not Inception verse, but the uh, Interstellar verse? What if Ooh, it's, it could be that, yeah. What if it's all just the same thing? What if it's all just... What if they the never stopped working on the Manhattan Project? <laughs> what if it's all a dream <laughs> in the fourth dimension of love? <laughs> Whoa! And we'll all wake up after we watch the next Christopher Nolan movie. What if the only other thing that's uh, perceivable in dimensions of time and space besides love is the is the the a bomb? Yeah, and then it blows up and kills you and, and the universe and love. Exactly. Same time. That'd be horrible. <clears throat> yeah, that's awful. I always associated with, with Red Eye. Yeah, it's that great of a movie. But no, 
<laughs> but he gets stabbed in the throat, and that is like totally memorable. I will never it, forget Killian Murphy getting stabbed in the throat and proceeding to like breathe for the whole throat for like the remaining thirty minutes of the movie. It's so great. But I was associated with that and Scarecrow, so he's always a creepy villain in my mind. But it's probably why yeah. I didn't recognize him. He's got those eyes. They're like they're flat eyes, but they're piercing. They're amazing. Yeah, he's, I love his eyes. He, he's one of my favorite favorite actors. Like whenever he's in something, I know it's going to be at least interesting because he's in it. You know, like even even that movie is uh, like it's not a good movie, but it's also I don't know. I I watched it. I was like totally on the edge of my seat. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it wasn't that great a movie, but, you know, I'll watch it, like, once every 20 years. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> what is this movie? Red Eye? Red Eye. Red Eye. I remember the trailer for this movie, but I never saw it. It's, it's, I think it's a girl she's on a Red Eye plane, and this guy's, like, stalking her. It, oh, isn't no. it Jodie Foster? Or is I she in another be. movie that's a similar... No, no, it's Rachel McAdams. And oh, there's a lot of like women on airplane movies. I don't know why that's a trope, <laughs> but like there's that one where the the girl gets kidnapped or whatever. Is that Flight Plan? There's one with Jodie Foster that's called Flight Plan that came out like I think around the same time. I think that's right, dude. Same year. It's like she's could you see the daughter? The daughter's no longer there, and then it's the, the whole rest of the movie is trying to figure out whether or not the daughter actually exists and was kidnapped, or she's crazy. Oh, yeah, I remember. Again, yeah. I saw the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of trailers for women on planes. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. They're well marketed. You, it was probably because like, <laughs> everyone was terrified back then of like going on planes and stuff. So it was like, let's cash in on some of this this terror. Everything's scary on planes that you can imagine. You know, women, <laughs> snakes. 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 <laughs> Killian Murphy. <laughs> what are you going to do about all these mother... Cillian Murphy's on all these motherfucking planes. <laughs> so um, no, but um, wasn't was his like first movie Twenty Eight Days Later, or is that just because it? Do I think that just because it looks like like a first movie? I mean, it was his first. It was one of his first big movies, yeah, for sure. Uh, his first credit is a short film from nineteen ninety seven. His first movie. Is from 1998, and then 28 Days Later is in 2002. Oh, okay. So okay. yeah, oh, it was, it's yeah, definitely okay. his first big movie. Yeah. When that shakes the barley might have been before that too, but no, that's 2006. But, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um. After Batman Begins. Oh, really? That's fascinating. Well, but he hasn't. Has he been? I was looking through it, and I was trying to figure out: Has he been in an apocalypse movie since 28 Days Later? Anyone? It doesn't mm-hmm. look like no. it. No. I don't want you to look it up. Like, like, just, just, like, what are we doing here? Why are we looking everything up? We're dads. Well, I mean, has was he an Interstellar? <laughs> That's an not. apocalypse. No. Movie. Nah. Yeah. But he wasn't in Interstellar. Oh, well, that. I guess Dark Knight Rises is sort of a city apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. It but it's not it an has, apocalypse. Yeah. It feels like it, one. it's a dystopia. He gets That's the cool. he gets the great line in, in the Dark Knight Rises. Do you choose death or exile? I choose exile. All right then, death by exile. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's so dumb I don't think he's in an apocalypse movie ever since 28 days later so this is his return no I think you're right yeah yeah. it's his return to the end of the world it's kind of cool good for him I thought that was kind of neat 
Uh, so besides Killian Murphy, who else do we have that's new? Yeah, so then it's it's sort of Killian Murphy and then everyone else's – all the other new actors are, are very brief here. So we have Jaiman Hansu. His name is The Man on the Island, uh, which tells you how – you know, important he is. He, he's been in a lot of movies and he's been in a lot of really big movies recently. He's sort of, yeah. been, he's been doing a lot lately. So he is in, among many credits, he was in Steven Spielberg's Amistad. He was in Gladiator. He was in How to Train Your Dragon 2. He was in Furious 7. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel, playing the same character. And he was also in Aquaman and Shazam, playing different characters. So he's in the MCU and he has two roles in the DCEU, which is hilarious. His upcoming movie is The King's Man, which I'm very excited for. That's the Kingsman prequel oh, that's yeah. set in World War One, which that's we've been right. waiting for for like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. and he has two uh, Oscar looked- nominations. One for, really? Sorry, one for yeah, one for In America, and the other for Blood Diamond, both wow. uh, supporting actor. Okay, yeah. I, I remember him from Blood Diamond, but I don't think I've seen In America. <sighs> He's like the most badass looking dude in the world, right? He's so like, cool. like no one looks cooler than him. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, he's got such <laughs> yeah. a wonderful. I don't even know how to describe this look, but it's a great one. He's got. I'm gonna say he's got a dad actor kind of look to him. Awesome. And then like, who's I'm the? Are, are there any other new? Yeah. So we have Scoot McNary, who plays the man on the dock, the Marina Ooh. man. And uh, he also has a lot of credits. He's most notably in Argo and 12 Years a Slave, which are consecutive Best Picture winners. Uh, Then he's in Gone Girl. He's in the Fargo TV show. He's in True Detective. He's in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. And he's also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I actually, I don't know who he plays in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I really didn't really recognize him from any of those. yeah. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen most of those anyway, so. He's got to be. He's got to be a bit part in that, or like one of the one of the hippies, maybe. I can see him being a hippie. He's so good at being creepy. Yeah, he's. You're naming all these things, and I've seen them all, and I can't remember. Do you him. remember season three yeah. of of True Detective, uh, Jesse? Yeah, who is he? He's like he plays, he's, Yeah, he's the dad of the girl that goes missing. Tom That's right. Purcell the dad who's the, name of the character. Who's um a person of interest, and he's drinking yeah. a lot. Right. And, yeah. yeah. Okay, that guy. It's like constantly drunk. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. In Fargo season three, a very important air conditioning unit is involved with him. Oh. Do you remember that? Yeah. All right. So that he's only in there for a bit, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's good at playing like creepy or like sad, like like important small parts. Seems okay. like. Like oh, you know what one. else he's in? Have you guys seen uh, yes. Killing Them Softly? No. Oh, one of wait. my favorite movies with That's Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt and, one. Yeah. yeah, I have seen that. He's one of the two. I don't know if they're the main characters, but the two kind of um, uh, like small time criminals who rob the 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 poker game. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. With the ski mask and the yeah. Yeah, that's right. I love Scoot McNary. He's great. I like seeing him pop up in things. He's always like, a, "Dude, it's Scoot McNary." Because his name's Scoot McNary, which is amazing. And he's also really good at cool. what he does. Yeah, he, he always plays kind of a depressing person. He's always... <laughs> <laughs> who's always somehow in the way, even though he's never really the main center of, of conflict. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So then I had just one more actor who is also very tiny. Uh, this is, and I, I really hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Okediate Onaudawan plays Ronnie, the police officer, in the opening scene. Oh, he yeah. He's actually, when I was watching the movie, I thought, ha, okay, that guy's voice sounds really familiar. I saw his name in the credits, and I realized that's Hercules Mulligan slash James yeah. Madison from Hamilton. What? Hercules oh. Mulligan, a tailor spying on the British government. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So I'm a huge Hamilton fan, so I had to, I had to shout out Oak. That's, oh, that's, cool. a, that's a good catch. That's awesome. I did not know. I know, that. yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. he, I thought he looked a little bit familiar. Yeah. Well, I think that basically wraps it up. I mean, like, we dove into, like, John Krasinski and everybody else in the movie, all four of them, uh, like, last time in the uh, Quiet Place Part 1. And we yeah. went over the writers in and all that. So uh, everybody else is, yeah, I think we hit everybody new here. Cool. Yeah. And then this hasn't won any awards because it's only been out for a few months. Or has it? Yeah. Has it won anything? It came there out been in, any awards? It came out in May. No, there have not been awards okay. for this year yet. I'm sure it'll it'll get a nomination for sound. I hope it wins yeah. because the first has one won, didn't like, win. And I was sad about that. It hasn't won any like really shitty awards like Nickelodeon's Pre-Teens Kids Choice Awards or something like that. <laughs> Pre-Teens uh, Kindergartner's Choice Awards. <laughs> I do not think so, no. Oddly specific awards. There's a lot of those yeah, out there. Yeah. Did uh, the uh, first one get nominated for any Oscars? Just uh, sound editing is the only okay. one. Yeah. Okay, so hopefully it'll be up for that again because it's the same people doing the same sounds. So. It's the same people and it's just as good, so... Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard anything more more quiet than it this year. So yeah, you know, it was almost too quiet. quiet. <laughs> uh, so speaking of being too quiet, <laughs> what were your guys' first impressions? Isn't that a great segue, <laughs> Mike? Would you would you say this was a good first impression of Too Quiet, Too Place? You know, I I had. I, as far as as my impression of Two Place, Too Furious goes, I really like Too Fast, Too Furious. By the way, like like people don't really love that one that much, but but that's actually I, I thought nice. it was fun. I'm just gonna stick that in there. W- with this one, um, I mean, my impression it, it was fun. There were parts of it that I really loved, and parts of it that I I really didn't. I uh, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to like rain. Like okay, no, I'm gonna start off with positives because I'm I'm generally a positive person. I'm a very good mood tonight, and like like this is great. This is a great expansion of the characters that we've seen before and that we've grown to to know and and love in um in the first one. I mean, getting to see uh, how Evelyn Abbott sort of moves forward and and leads her children to continue surviving after the death of their father. And uh, watching watching the kids sort of grow into their own, that was really cool. And I thought that using this sort of a, a story to, to or this sort of a structure to tell that story was was very enjoyable. Yeah. So I mean, first impressions. I, I think I gave it like three stars or something like that. Um, three and a half stars. It's definitely better than average, whatever that is. Um, yeah. It's not. You know, it, it wasn't something that I I love wholeheartedly. I just watched, so I just watched Monsters, Inc. with my kids for the first time. And that was really fun. And 
like watching that, I was like, oh yeah, this is what a like I, I've seen it before. My kids hadn't seen it before, and and I kind of felt like this is what a just fully enjoyable movie going experience is like. I was thinking about this question. I was like, I didn't feel that way with A Quiet Place Part Two. I mean, like it's not funny or Pixar, or, you know, but it is about <laughs> monsters. <laughs> I mean that's such a weird. There, there are also elements. I mean, yes, they do have monsters. <laughs> no, but I just mean like, like I come out of that and I'm like, that was just a purely enjoyed period of, of time, like hour and a half. With this, I was like, yeah, see, see that flaw, see that flaw, or whatever. So, so that's what I mean by like three, three and a half. It's it's okay. not it's not perfect. It's not something I'm gonna love for the rest of my life. But but I mostly enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. What right. about uh? What about you, Dom? Yeah, so I um, I definitely liked it a little bit more than you, but I also liked the first one a lot more than you. So that's yeah, probably not you, super surprising. Did you go see it in the theaters? I did. Yeah. Um. And actually, uh, okay. uh, so so at the time of this recording, the, the anniversary episode has been released, and mm. when I recorded that, I had just come back from seeing, just come back from seeing A Quiet Place Part Two. Um, so I actually, I think I mentioned it in, in the recording. Yeah. So I so listened I, to it. In, I listened to our own episodes, by the way. And I did hear that. Oh, I just good. forget very everything good. until people tell me. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I liked it. I, I definitely liked it a lot then. I, I knew, I, I knew that it wasn't perfect, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was scared. I was tense. I almost cried actually. And we'll talk about that in a bit, I think with my favorite scene, but yeah, I had a really, I had a really good time. I knew it wouldn't be as good as the first one. And I also knew, I think I had my expectations low because just because it's a sequel, I knew it wouldn't be as good as the first one. So I tried to measure my expectations and I, I had a great time. And I think, I think right now it, it might be at like four and a half. That might be a little bit too high, but somewhere around four, four, I think. I, and I gave the first one five out of five just for comparison. So it's okay. a little bit. A little bit removed from the first one, I think, which I absolutely love. Okay. Cool. Yeah. See, I'll, I'll add. I did not see it in theaters, which I think is definitely to the mm-hmm. detriment. I think that these are definitely like a theater-going experience type movie. For oh sure. yeah. Sorry, yeah. Jesse. I didn't mean to to step on you. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think theaters do add something to them. But I I actually didn't see this one in theaters. I saw this one and really enjoyed it with my father-in-law. So I had seen the first one with my parents going on vacation with them. And a few months later, we were going on vacation with my father-in-law. And, you know, for, it's always like a scramble to figure out, like, what you're going to watch. It's always like, oh, all right. Is it going to be, like, the Hallmark kind of movie? Hmm. Which, you know, has, it has a, you know, you know what to expect. It's nice. It's pleasant. But it's, like, it's, it's never challenging in any way. So sometimes I, I like to beat things up a little bit and I have a really hard time picking out movies. But this time it's like, all right, I know he likes sci-fi and he had never seen Quiet Place. But we're like, you know, we kind of want to see this movie. We think you kind of enjoy it. We could probably start with the first one. He's like, oh, you got to see the first one already? No, let's go to the second one. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. This, this might be a little weird for you, but I guess we'll catch you up. And then as we were trying to catch him up, we're like, yeah, nothing much happened one the dad died the dad died in the first one <laughs> yeah see well, that guy spoiler alert yeah <laughs> yeah spoiler alert for for part one in case you're listening to this one and haven't seen part one 
<laughs> I haven't seen haven't... part one or part two or listened to the, our previous episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where we say that he died for the last three years. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we just we watched it with him, and it was like a really enjoyable time. It was lots of fun. Like we were all pretty tense, and again, it was another like. I felt like another setting where that quiet place kind of excels in, which is like it's it's a big old crowd pleaser, right? If you get a bunch of different people uh, with different movie tastes, even and throw them in a room, I think everybody will say like, "Yeah, that was pretty good." So we all had that experience. Well, we did just think it was pretty good. We thought it was we thought it was pretty great. Uh, we had a great time with it. Yeah, I think I rated it four and a half. I think I'd move it down to like four. I still really enjoy this movie, even on uh, rewatching it. So yeah. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Uh, how about cool. you, Let me. When this came out, uh, it was a, just happened to be a Saturday that I was getting some cavities filled in the morning. And after I got the cavities filled, you know what? Your mouth is all numb. Oh, you so go I to the dentist. <laughs> yeah, what did I say? Well, I don't know. No, you go to the dentist. It's like, I'm in awe. Oh. <laughs> I, I haven't been to the dentist in years. Yeah. <laughs> well, it had been years before that. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Hence the, the cavities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, my mouth was going to be numb for a couple hours. So I had a couple hours to kill. So I decided to see what was in theaters. And uh, so I just went by myself to see Quiet Place in theaters. And uh, it was a really great experience. Um, yeah, I really loved it. I think I gave it four stars originally. Yeah, I think it's just... it's. Um, the pros are it has, I think, what the best thing about part one is, is that John Krasinski really captures the emotion and really makes you care about these characters. And yeah, especially with the sound, it's just it's a great theater experience uh, where everyone's on the edge of their seat. My only complaint about my theater experience was it was in the middle of the afternoon. And for some reason, somebody left the like the back door of the theater open, like the entrance, and you could see oh, no. sunlight coming in. <laughs> So out of the corner of my eye, you see like a a yellow square of brightness. Nobody closed it? Nobody closed it. It might have been like a fire exit thing or something, but... Why didn't you close it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> or was it like a COVID thing to like search for I think it air? was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's... Um, yeah. But it was it was at the very edge of my, my vision, so it wasn't a huge deal. Uh, but yeah, yeah, great experience. Okay. That's cool. Oh, uh, wait, you've rewatched it since though, right? I have. I do want to hear about the rewatching experience <laughs> as well. Well, um, I don't know if we're there yet, getting into um, things that work and don't. But watching it at home on my own screen, it went down a lot for me. Um, not a lot. I mm. think I think it's now hovering between a three and a three and a half for me. Well, I don't, maybe there's something to get into okay. later, but I think the heart is there, and I think it is pretty badly written. Mm. So that's my synopsis. <laughs> okay. Mm. All right edge of the seat there i want to know what more about that one because i enjoyed the ride (laughs) (laughs) all right so i I really want to move to there but first why don't we talk about like whether or not we're going to show this to our kids and and would we might do so dom has your answer changed much from part one no not really at all i mean i'm probably just going to show this to them right after part one so I don't, because I, I mean, I can't think of any reason why I would wait. And yeah. on the last rewatch, I watched both of them in the same day. And I really like, I really enjoyed that. Altogether, they're only about two, three hours, which is as long as some movies are just on their own. So I don't know, take a break in the middle, then go back to it. I, I, I really like the way the movies fit together. So, and I, yeah, I don't see a reason to wait. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, and what, how old did I say? Like 13 or 14, I think, was the one I said last time. So, yeah, right around that. Right around that age. Just show both of them. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm with you. It's going to be like the same thing, like same day, probably 13 or 14 too. Yeah, I really think, I think last episode I had said this is going to be like, it's going to be a movie that like our kids are going to talk about. It's going to be like a benchmark for them. And I think it will hold true for the series because I know there's going to be more after this. In fact, they have part uh-huh. three confirmed. So so there's going to be a lot. And I, I'm really looking forward to like watching the entire series with my kids personally. Let me. Uh, I'm pretty on the fence about showing this to my kids. I mean, on the one hand, I think that there's a lot that's maybe not must-see, but really cool stuff. Like, particularly the opening scene is just an amazing, mm-hmm. amazingly produced piece of cinema. But on the other hand, I do think that if you just have the the first movie as on its own, the way it ends is perfect. And I think the second one takes a little bit away from the ending of that first one. So I think the first one on its own, for me, is a must-see for my kids. And the second one is something that I'm not going to be opposed to them seeing, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I really can't say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Lenny, I I feel like, like that's how I feel as well. Um, I don't, I don't see any reason for, for, to show this one, but, but you guys convinced me at the end of the last episode that, that, uh, that was a dad movie and that I would show it to my kids. I changed my answer at the end of it. So, you know, I'm willing, I'm willing to change here. I see some things in this one that are a little bit different. Like, it's about the mom more than the dad a little bit, you know, and that's kind of cool. Like, see, moms are strong, too. I don't know. But I, I also kind of feel like I, the first one stands alone. I kind of, like, want to wait and see what the third one's like. If the third one just knocks it out of the park, if they go to outer space, it sounds great. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably yeah I could that. definitely see. Yeah, if they bookend it with two great movies, make it a trilogy, yeah. you could definitely, yeah. Suffer through the second one, not suffer through. You got it. Yeah. yeah, it, it would raise it, the whole trilogy. Yeah, I could. I, I got. I feel like I got it, theories about what the, what the third. I think we all kind of know what the third one is going to be. But like, I, I think I, friends with the monsters. But <laughs> <laughs> the real monsters are the friends we made along the way. Wait, <laughs> could you imagine what a twist? And yeah, yeah, we're just gonna like they're actually kind. Yeah. Oh, they've just been hitting us around because they were afraid of us. <laughs> oh, they... Or they become like the new horses where you ride them around. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that would suck major balls. Yeah, but I so I think like the first movie really set up like here's a post-apocalypse where they're trying to survive and try to really figure out how to how to actually live, not just survive the whole way through. And the second movie, with the removal of John Krasinski yeah. in the first one, after that, like, it's how do you survive? And then afterwards, it's going to be like, how do you thrive? Right? So this movie is all about survival. It's nothing like, like the first where they were, like, you know, learning math and, and like, had a, had a great farm and, like, you know, were able to play Monopoly at the same time. Uh, there's none of that. It's just like go, go, go. We have to make sure all the monsters are capable of dying and everybody's safe, right? So I really think the third one's mm-hmm. going to shift gears to like now that everybody knows how to kill the monsters, how do we thrive as a society? 
because yeah. that is the culmination I'm, of what John Krasinski had always tried to do in the first one, being bored out in the next two movies. I think it's interesting you're bringing up so the how they're thriving. They're starting the first one off thriving, and they're starting this one off surviving. Um, I think it's an interesting, a really interesting choice, among many other good reasons to open the movie with a flashback. But they go back to the first to day one, right? When that's like the worst, the worst it is. It's utter chaos, and they just have to figure out how to survive the first time they they're yeah. having to do that together. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that first scene is really good. It's really good at like setting the the pace for that. I, I mean, I guess like yeah, it, it makes sense that they would go go that path or whatever. You mean like the third one being sort of a rebuild or like how to how to yeah. eliminate every last one and then rebuild? It, it's well probably gonna do the same thing this one does, where it's gonna take take off like right as the second one ends, and mm-hmm. then it's gonna be like, all right, now how do we establish a new home? Right. Because it's it's not just about like society as a whole, but it's more about like these kids, right? These kids who were learning how to survive. The the goal of the parents was always to to make them succeed even better than the to make the kids succeed better than they were, right? And that's yeah. what it always seemed like to me. And there it's actually being kind of fulfilled and borne out in this one. Like they are surviving better. They're able to protect the mom. Uh, the son is able to protect a mom and she's able to protect all of humanity in some ways by like delivering that little mm-hmm. chip there. So he's, they are succeeding where their, their father wasn't even quite able to, or just like fulfilling his role when he's gone. And I think that's really neat. So I think the next step in like fulfilling the John Krasinski hole that's been left is the, is the thriving part. Yeah. Yeah, and probably yeah. more than just helping like the family thrive because even in the thriving that the family was doing, it was it was a survival thing. It was a hey, we've got to put up the walls. Like they didn't put up walls or anything, but we got to focus on ourselves. We can't focus on others because we just have to mm-hmm. live. But now, I mean, like they've taken this next step to not just you know keeping themselves alive, but hey, they have a weapon that they can use for all of humanity. Sort of expanding out that way. Yeah. Um, so helping helping others thrive, which which again is like kind of what. John Cousin, Lee Abbott's um, sort of role in the community to have been with that opening scene. Is, yeah, that, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, they're being him to everybody. Yeah. And I think that's really neat. I think that's a really cool concept. It's also like shows this kind of cool, like generational handing down of roles and how, how, and what that looks like from parents to child. Mm-hmm. Although by them, you just mean Mills, right? <laughs> The son's not doing anything. The wife's not doing anything. No, he... The baby's not doing anything. Well, he does. It's he, just Milton. <laughs> at the same time where she's like, in this one, like the ending scene, which, you know, I'll just get to it because this is my favorite scene. Wait, uh, yeah, okay. No. So, so let, let's yeah, let's jump into the favorite scenes, um, but kind of like thinking, I, I don't know, like let's let's continue with, with this sort oh, of yeah. like in mind. Yeah. Like, so like my, my favorite scene is the ending scene where it keeps on splicing back between what's going on in like the factory and what's going on in the radio station. There's a lot of that that I really like, but especially at the end when it's like Millicent is able to, uh, she manages to sneak into the radio station with her little device or whatever that freezes all the monsters in place and allow, allows them to be shot. Uh, and while she's doing that, figuring out how to do that, um, and being saved by Killian Murphy, you have Marcus who <laughs> royally fucks up and goes upstairs for some reason, which is my least favorite part of the movie. There's no reason 
like, dude, you're smarter than this. You've survived an apocalypse. There's no way anybody would just be, like, curious and not take care of a baby and then go upstairs, like, a couple stories. And, and then the monsters come or whatever. But it's what he does, like, after the monsters are there, right? He, like, starts sacrificing himself for the baby, like, sacrificing his oxygen. He's, like, depraved. He could have just stolen it from the baby. But he's, like, sitting there kind of protecting it. And then when his mom is injured, right? She's the one who's usually, she's always the one that kills him. And instead, he's taking her spot. Like, she told him at the, in the first one, uh, you need to be strong when I'm old and gray and losing teeth. Like, you need to protect mm-hmm. me and mm-hmm. and help me. And here he is actually fulfilling, like, what they were seeking out to do with him. He's protecting the mom, he kills the monster at the end. And that's, like, his kind of redemptive arc. And the, th- the seeds that they've been planting in him all along have like kind of come to fruition and same thing with Billison, like because like she used to be really vindictive at her father and didn't really want to be like him it seems and now she is actively like trying to do what he would have done and succeeds in it and i think that's really cool i i love that that ending that that fruition of all of the parents hard work and their children actually coming to life and flourishing finally i think that's really neat yeah i love um i love when uh when Millicent like pulls the pulls whatever it is out of the um, at the very very end when she pulls the thing out of the the alien, it's like it's like a King Arthur sword in the stone moment. Yeah, um, it's definitely shot that way. Like, very. Um, did you like the way it was done? Like those interspliced like back and forth and back and forth. Is that mostly? Well, I think I think when the mom uh, Evelyn when when she was like out getting. Like medicine, I was like, hmm, why, why, "Why are we focusing on her? Let's go back to the kids. They're the ones that have shit going on." But then yeah. once she gets back to the warehouse and she has like a, you know, the water starts dripping down. She has a gun drawn and then blows up the the tank. I think it's the oxygen tank behind the alien. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. all about that. And yeah, I I like the intensity that that it built up and then that those mirror image scenes of the children. Yeah, I thought the payoff was great. The payoff of seeing yeah. the kids both be like their dad was awesome. So yeah. I ended up no, liking that's, it. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. I, I especially remember from from seeing it originally and from re- rewatching it, the shot almost at the very end of the movie of Evelyn just like watching her son face down this monster in amazement. It's like, oh my yeah. gosh, he, he can actually do it. This is incredible. I, yeah, that's a beautiful moment. I love that. I love yeah. the intercutting. It's so cool. Yeah. Uh, did that work for you guys? Like the intersplicing of the seeds and all that? It didn't really work for me. Like it almost worked for me, but then it just happened to, it went on too long. I don't know. I don't really like that. I get a headache or something. I don't know. Like I, I love the payoff. I love the res, the end result, but it just, it they were just, if they had just done that at the end and they had spent like, I don't know if they had been cutting between these three stories so much, I don't know. Like whenever a, a movie gets split into three, three separate stories, I start getting some fatigue and which is kind of like, I don't know. That was kind of my, I don't know. That was kind of my problem with the first one is like, I feel like these movies asked me to do a lot of work. That's that. I don't know. Letney, did it work for you? Um, Not really. I mean, I, I think my problem <laughs> with it is that, <laughs> He's trying to do three separate stories, and the way he intercuts it is kind of cool, but only one of those stories matters. Regan's character's story makes sense, but it seems like the story of the son and the story of the mom are 
contrived problems. Their problems created in order to have tension. Like, why is he going and exploring? It doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah, that's stupid. So but- there, there's only three stories because he wanted three stories. There doesn't need to be three stories. And the reason mm-hmm. that two of those stories exist is dumb. And that's why I don't like it. Evelyn doesn't really have much of a story. She goes to town. Yeah, not Madison, really. And yeah. she comes back. Yeah. Why have everyone be in a separate place all at the same time? Like it, it's just it's a contrived problem. It's it's yeah. the characters are acting stupid in order to create tension. The son's acting stupid, but the mom's not. Like the baby needs an oxygen tank. Well, she he need the baby needs an oxygen. They put have to put it in a box where it needs oxygen, and yeah. then they're going into a little <laughs> container, a little safe room that has no oxygen. So what if they get locked in? And it's smart to have oxygen tanks around. Also, her son was just his, his leg was caught in the bear trap. He needs antibiotics. She and there's also no way, oxygen. like, there's no way of knowing that that Marcus is gonna mess be shit a dumbass. up. And, yeah, and yeah, be a dumbass. Yes, so but it just seems like it makes if, sense for her at least. Yeah, it makes some sense, but it seems like there's another adult who's out going looking for your other child. So you're gonna leave your injured young son watching your infant child. When maybe you could do this tomorrow when Killian comes back, you know, like it just seems like, like why do the why do the riskiest thing possible? Like there's there's a smarter way to do this, or take the kids with you. Well, like that's one of the things I I, I dislike about this movie is on the one hand, well, she it's can't cool take, to see she can't take the kids with it. Or he just got his foot caught in a bear trap. Okay, then just wait for like, the, it, no, I, she's out to get antibiotics for that same wound too, and the baby needs oxygen. You cannot go along without oxygen. Well, it seems like you could keep the baby in the... In the there's ways around it. You keep the baby in the, the safe because they have the timer so they know how much oxygen is in there. And also, they're under three feet of concrete. So, I don't know. We, we can go back and forth and nitpick. But it just seems like... And this is one of my big problems with the movie is that, on the one hand, I like the idea of the kids coming to their own and becoming adults in some way. But it seems like one of the great things about the first movie is that it was the family working together. It was it was the beauty of the family strength and unity. And this is just everyone in the family, not like you do this, you do this, you do this, let's make a plan, let's all, you know, divide and conquer. It's everyone just going out on their own and just, like, there's no family unity. There's no planning. There's no organization. There's no, there's no. no unity. <laughs> yeah, he, because the, the father served that role and he was dead. I think there's something to that, Jesse. I, I actually don't have the same problem that you do. Letney, like, or any of you guys, like, I kind of feel like, like a a 13 year old boy, like hopped up on painkillers might, you know, decide that he wants to go exploring in like the abandoned warehouse. Like that makes a little more sense. Mm -hmm. The thing that didn't make sense to me was Millicent uh, uh, Regan not telling her mom that she was, that it would be a good idea to take this thing to the radio station. Like, I feel like they would have communicated about that. Um, mm. that's not in keeping with character. And so without that, none of the issues in the movie happen. But I don't know. Like that's... I, Wait, I mean, it's not, I guess it's not in keeping with character if she, I, I don't know if it is or not, but I, she's definitely like rebellious in the first one. And I don't think she would just stop wanting yep. to do her, like wanting to be right and wanting to just do it. And I think she knew yeah. that like her mom would say, no, absolutely not. There's no way you're doing that. So yeah, I, yeah. I don't well, think it's the, completely out of character, although it might be I think, a little contrived. I think not talking about it at all would be very out of, it is very out of character. Like the way, okay. the way yeah. that she, yeah, I, I think that she, yeah. 
Well, I it think it seems the, like the communicative nature of the family that's been presented <laughs> to us in the first movie assures us that they would have communicated about this in some way or another. Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, it's, to me, it seems like the son is acting out of character because it, it seems like if you go back to the first movie, you guys remember the scene at the waterfall? Yeah. And when Lee screams and the boy is so terrified, he is so terrified of the slightest sound Yeah, because yeah. he has grown up in this world and he really know like, it seems like, like he is terrified. So he's not going to make bold, risky risks, you know? Yeah. So him just going on a joy, you know, a, a joy walk to look for skeletons doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Especially. Well, wait, with I the actually, <laughs> well, unless, I unless actually, it's like Mike was saying, and he has hopped up on painkillers right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, like he wouldn't even be walking without the painkillers. So I, I, that's, that's the only thing like, like I also agree. It's not in keeping with his character, but he's not him. Like, yeah. Okay. Maybe, yeah. That's the explanation. yeah. I'm explaining this for the movie. Yeah. I Again, actually thought that last time I saw it, I actually, I kind of, it didn't stand out to me. And I, Thinking about it now, I actually kind of thought, like, as I was watching it, like, oh, he's going to look for her. Like, he's going to look for his mom. I vaguely remember him, like, shining the flashlight outside the window. So I didn't think he was just walking around. I still think it's, like, not the smartest thing for him to go upstairs and look. Like, why does he need to look for her? But I I think it makes a little bit more sense than just him walking around. Yeah. Well, like, I think it's been hours. It's, like, at night. It's been hours. where's, Where's mom? Because she said, I'll be like two, maybe three hours tall. It's, yeah. it's been a long, long time. That's, it's that's okay. That's and true. he's hopped up on painkillers. Yeah. All right. See, so, I guess so. that's like, that's that's somewhat plausible to me. But that's why I think the movie is not very well written. Is it seems like you, and I, I don't have an idea, but it seems like you could come up with a, a, an urgent reason that he needs to leave the baby. And the movie didn't really do that. Hmm. And it seems like, mm-hmm. so the whole plot line of him finding the skeleton and screaming, which nobody screams. In well, it depends on if you like, think oxygen is for the baby is urgent. Or no, no, but, <laughs> no, no. I understand her leaving, but him leaving isn't like, what is him going out to the window to see if she's coming back? Like, yeah. There's no urgency to that. And it seems like, yeah, yeah. Like, what if the baby was out of oxygen and he was searching the building for oxygen? Again, you know? being hopped up on like, painkillers that, that helps me. It's, yeah, yeah. I don't think it solves it for me either, but it does like help me a little bit with that. And yeah, I, feel like, I just think there, there'd be more, there's a more clever way to do that. And that's, I yeah, feel like it's, it, it's like as, as a father, I feel like maybe it seems more plausible to a, to a parent that your kid does something stupid um, <laughs> it, because like they want to yeah. see their mom. Like, I feel like my kids are all the time constantly doing stupid things because like mom's going to be home soon. So like, can I do this or whatever? I don't know. I don't know. That's that's yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that that does make some sense. But I, I do want to go back to you because, like, you have a problem with uh, Regan leaving. Yeah, I I I, I dropped that too early. I feel like um, well, I, well, I, let's talk about that too because we're here. <laughs> we're totally we're, we're totally already, doing we're already right gone way into Marcus. So <laughs> let's talk about Regan and Regan leave. All right, so this made perfect sense to me. Okay, she's kind of a rebellious teenager. And but she's not super rebellious. Like she's always like lived within like pretty straight narrow bounds. But remember, this is the day after their dad. She watched her dad die, and he just told her, "I've always loved you." Right after like being thinking that like she he was blaming her, and then kind of realizing that like he's been working really hard for her to make those mm-hmm. hearing aids or whatever. Hearing aids. 
uh, and that turned out to be the the thing that he worked so hard to make turned out to be the thing to to defeat the monsters. And she, I think, is so wanting to make up for her shitty behavior to her dad that this is her way of grieving almost. Like I have to do something for him and for what what he's done for us. So I have to well, be like him and also like service his memory uh, and use what he has done to to give us a better life. Sorry, oh, just too fast. I like that. Um, and also, I just remembered that, like, when he, as we pointed out last time, he gets to say, I love you right before he dies. But she she doesn't get to say, I love you back in any way. So it might, it could be kind of like what you're saying. She is trying to, she's doing whatever she can to return his love and his sacrifice. So she has to, she feels like she has to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Marcus told her, if you tell mom about this, mom will not let you go. You know, it's that weird age-old fear that, that kids have as if their parents can actually do something. If they really set their minds to, you know, leaving the house and, you know, killing a bunch of monsters. As if the mom could actually stop her. But I, I think in this case, the mom actually would. She seems really protective of her kids, which is probably why she goes out and gets the oxygen probably before they need it, just to make sure her kids are safe. So, And then she immediately makes uh, Killian Murphy like run out and, and get Regan as soon as she finds out, right? And she like is pleading with him. So yeah, she would not let her go. I, even if she thought it was mildly reasonable, I don't think she would ever let that happen. Um, and she's right. She's right, though. Like, Regan should not have gone. That was stupid. If she died along the way, all of humanity is doomed forever. And no one would know that she died. Like, yes. this was, was a stupid decision. Granted, teenagers make a lot of stupid decisions. I was one and did many. So so even though she's a teenager, it's it's still dumb. Like, like a dumb teenager does this. And she's not a dumb teenager. Like, that's, that's the point. Like, these aren't dumb kids. These are, like, kids who... These are kids who have been raised really well. And and I really think that even though like they've been traumatized and whatever, like it's not in keeping with her character to not go. And like her mom would have been like, yeah, don't go today because tomorrow, like I have these reasons that you shouldn't go today. Hey, I've got to go back to the store to get more oxygen tanks. Like B, you know, your brother's injured. Like, and C, like let's, Let's get Emmett on board. Like we have these three good reasons not to do it. And like, you shouldn't go alone because like you have the only thing that can save the world. And yeah. uh, I just feel like, like even though she's traumatized and she just saw her father die, like it's, it's almost a, it's a bridge too far to say that she would, she would go through with this. Like, it's not like she gets up and leaves. It's like, she plans it out. She, gets up in the night mm -hmm. and climbs out quietly and like with a gun. goes yeah. with a gun, like, and go like, she does all of these, these actions. And like, I don't know about you, but like, if I'm going to do something, I was like, I shouldn't do that. You know, like I'm thinking the whole time, like, should I do this? Like, should I? And a lot of the time, like, you know what? No, I shouldn't. Like, I shouldn't go and have like a massive bowl of ice cream at three o'clock in the morning. I should, yeah. you know, well, go to sleep I think or something. A part of living in their world is that, uh, they always do something if if there's a problem, but in this case, I think, yeah, it's not it's not just trauma that she has. She she's I think this is truly grieving 
this is how this is her process for grieving. The problem for her is on the inside. Uh, how do you reconcile with your father when he's already dead? And I, I think this is this is the answer. You honor his memory. You, you do everything that I that I listed earlier. And mm-hmm. I think she's trying to do that. Yeah, it's a stupid decision. <laughs> it's it's really yeah. dumb. Just because I just because I think she's sympathetic, and I think she is like a a smart person. Like she's capable. She's able to figure things out. She's making a really dumb decision here. Uh, she may be good, like tactic, like strategically thinking about what to do, but maybe the reason why she's doing it is not is not good here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the her storyline was the only one I didn't have a problem with until what you said, Mike. And now I have a big problem with it. Like if you oh, think no. about their their situation, the they're the newborn baby and the son is injured. Yeah, and and Emmett is about to kick them out. So their family's in dire straits, and she just she just leaves them. Like, it seems at the very least she should get them to a safe place because she's the only she's one of the few, you know, functional, able-bodied people left. But if she does this and she thinks she can do it in a day or whatever, yeah, I guess or, so, or two, then everybody will be safe. Yeah, but like, there's just there's no pressing need, right? And there's no there's no clear evidence. You just that, gave a bunch of reasons why there's a pressing need. No, there's no pressing need to broadcast the message because what she's doing is in this is in the service of helping the rest of the world. But her family is in immediate danger right now. And going to the island is not going to help her family immediately. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it puts her family in immediate danger. Yeah, but again, yeah, it's stupid. But like, why? I don't think that ruins it. I'm not saying I, it I, ruins I, yeah. it, but I'm saying that like that, it's it's suddenly much more logical than it was before in my mind. Like. Yeah, but yeah. I don't, I don't I, think any of these characters are supposed to be the most logical people. I think in this movie in particular, like, I think you were kind of supposed to think that in part one, and then there's a lot of cracks that even develop in, in different ways in this one that start showing how maybe they their ways are not the best. Maybe, maybe they are not the smartest people in this apocalypse scenario. And usually the protagonists are, but in this case, I, I don't think they are, and I think going through this grief that they have. I think that that's highlighting some of their flaws. Uh, but I think the story that they have going for it is still engaging. So my issue with it is that I don't think it's in keeping with the character. I think we have like, th- this is something that another person does, not this person, which means that like, it's a flaw in the storytelling and a flaw in the story. Oh, gotcha. Think, right? Like, like that's the issue. Not that like, like I think that it's wrong to show cracks or anything. Um, but but without her making that decision, the rest of the movie doesn't happen. So it's this key mm. thing. And they're using the idea of stupid teenagers to do a lot of work for them, which I feel is not it's not worth it. Like, it's not it's not. Well, and especially not fair. in the first movie. You can't do that. <laughs> I think the sense we get is that this is an exceptional family because they're one of the few that survived. Right. Yeah. And they all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it does seem sort of out of character to yeah suddenly have them making irrational decisions, especially yeah. since that's that's a that's probably one of the biggest uh, I don't know faux pas in horror movies is characters acting stupid, and I'm not saying these characters are acting the most stupid, but it seems like they're acting in ways that is not the smartest. Uh, well, I think I'm not saying it's, right. it's like <laughs> what I was saying. Her motivation is stupid, but the way she plans it out is smart. Right, like she I would actually. Flip that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, the way she's doing it is stupid, but her motivation is great. 
the it's same. Her yeah, she's, oh, like, her timing. It's her terrible. timing. I'm calling her motivation of grief, and she's letting that take control of her. But she's not doing it to such a degree where that's clouding her her ability to like sneak out and remember the fact that she needs a gun or something like that. Right? That would yeah. be stupid. She's problem solving all the way through, and that I think is like logical and. I, probably there's still some cracks there obviously it would still be better to have somebody with her and i think she realizes that literally hours in she starts crying because she thinks well and, because and she thinks that gone. he took her hearing aid that's the real reason oh right but yeah. she thinks that he, he betrayed her oh right yeah. i thought it was just the world was lost yeah <laughs> nope yeah that that'd yeah. be why yeah i mean i guess in the first movie you do see scenes of her being a loner right like she goes and there's the scene where you initially think it's on a beach, but it's really the grave. And yeah, no, she goes back to the uh, her brother's uh, grave like halfway through the movie for a yeah. while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like her entire character in the first one is kind of like being angsty because she's in grief yeah. <laughs> and she thinks yeah. she's to, to blame, and she finally realizes there's some there's a way out. And here's her yeah. redemptive arc: do this thing. That's a good point because, like, she she was grieving basically, yeah, basically the entire first movie after you know the first scene because she she blamed herself for it, right? Yeah. And but now now there's actually something that she can do about it because like she knows now she knows how to kill these things, so she's still yeah. grieving, but now it seems like she can at least be more productive than she was in the first movie, and so it, I, right. So, like, I, I see what you guys are saying about it being uncharacteristic, but it didn't – I think it worked for me because I'm okay. – yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think that that's, that might be, like, as far as we can go. It seems like – so, to me, like, this didn't feel in keeping with the character, but for you guys it did, and, and that's, yeah. that's okay. We can, we can disagree and, and, and still be yeah. – I remember last time we, talk, we were talking about how there are lots and lots of little tiny things that's like, oh – what about this thing? And then we sort of had to, you know, come up with the reasons because the movie yeah. isn't telling us a lot. So it kind of just seems like that's the same thing in this movie, maybe just about bigger, like more important things. So it's like, why is she doing this? Oh, because this, because this, because this. See, it's in keeping with her character. And I actually, I do think it is, but I can see yeah. that it's like kind of hard to prove that. I also think it's like not ridiculous for like Marcus to do what he does, but I also see that there's like, okay, why, why are you doing this? It's kind of dumb. It, it, well, I guess a lot of, uh, there's a lot of that. So I think Mike said it earlier, um, without the, these like diverging plot lines, the movie doesn't exist. Right. So obviously like we know that, that it is contrived. And I think we've all agreed on that, but I guess it just depends on like person to person who's okay with it. And I think I'm okay with it, but I definitely see the problems that are there. I mean, it seems like you kind of summed it up, but but I guess my overarching problem with this movie is that it seems like a lot of the tension in the first one came from the fact that, one, they're in this new world where these monsters that apparently can't be killed, and they have the upcoming you know, deadline of a child being born, which is unavoidable. This is just going to happen, and they have to figure out a way to deal with this. So it seems like there's external problems, there's external things that are building tension, and at the end of the first movie, that tension is resolved when they figure out how to kill the monsters. And it seems like this movie didn't do anything new external to add tension. So they had to find reasons in the characters' actions to create tension. Like the mm -hmm. monsters didn't become more evolved. We didn't have packs of monsters. It's the same monsters. And in fact, in that, in that scene when they're running to 
Emmett's place, they kill one monster, right? And then they keep running. They don't just kill the other monster. And that's why Marcus gets his foot caught. But, like, there's no, no reason for them not to keep just killing monsters. He, he got caught before the first monster shows up. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And then he starts screaming, yeah. which summons the first one and the second one. Well, no. The, the first the one got summoned shot. by the, the, the bottles, the, the trap with the bottles. He starts screaming, and There's though. a tripwire that... Yeah. That's before they start running. And, the, and then she says, run, and then that's when his... Yeah. He lands in the bear trap. And then it comes responding to the screaming. Yeah. Second one comes from the gunshot that they used to kill the first one. But yeah, I don't know why they don't just kill the second one. Maybe they just don't want to keep dealing with all of them. But it seems like well, guess... all of their issues in this movie would be would be solved if they just killed off the second one. That was yeah. really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it seems like there there is a way to take this movie into new tension, which they sort of paid lip service to with the people at the docks. That you say, okay, we don't have to worry about monsters anymore but now we have to worry about the real villains the humans you know this um an this anarchic society where there's people out there who are willing to kill you for your stuff and that could create real new tension that created a whole new layer but they don't do that it's still monsters so i don't know i'm belaboring the point at this point but um yeah is i just i just think that the movie doesn't add any new tension is that your favorite scene of this movie let me well, so my favorite scene is the opening scene, uh, but I think Donna's going to talk about that. So uh, I'll focus on the uh, scene at the docks. Um, I just think there's there's so much tension in that scene. And I also think it's a callback is great, especially a callback that you don't see coming. And the, the part where he signals for her to dive. Yeah. And it's from the opening scene that we totally forgot about like an hour ago. And it's, just, oh, yeah. it's so great. Yeah. I did not forget about that. I called it um, when I was seeing it. It's like Chekhov's ASL. <laughs> Check I knew it was going to come back. <laughs> okay, well, it was a surprise to me. <laughs> that is a great scene, though. Yeah. Like that scene really it, it arrests was your attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You really yeah. wonder how they're going to get out of that because there's so many people around. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing that's great about this movie is all, and then the first movie is all the set pieces, and that's yeah, one of many great set pieces. Yeah. Oh. Dude, when they like walk into the town, that town is a creepy town, you know, like the fog and everything. Um, I don't know. I thought that, that was that was a, a really, I don't know, striking sequence as they walk into the town and they get to you're like, oh, man, there's going to be people around and I know it's not going to go well. There's the girl like, why is there a girl? I don't want there to be a girl. Yeah, it's kind of. It's kind of funny. I remember seeing seeing that scene and thinking, "Oh, okay, this is like the you know this like stereotypical like creepy like horror creepy child," you know. And then she's just sitting there, and I was like, "Oh, maybe it's just a kid who's like needs help or something." So it kind of got me twice. It was like, "Oh, okay, oh, okay." So I kind of like that. I, I definitely felt I, I felt for it both times. I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm just dumb. Yeah. Uh, also, cool. I just wanted to point out like that whole like middle chunk of the movie. I think it's pretty good. I, and I really love, I just love the shot of Emmett and uh, Regan, like crossing the the giant bridge, like at sundown. That shot is just so cool. I just think it's amazing. And just yeah, want to point that yeah. out. All right. Well, Mike, what's, what's your favorite scene? Um, so for me, I, uh, so I also kind of feel like, you know, maybe they were sort of trying to, double dip on the tension and all of that. But I did think that the scene when um, Regan goes on the train 
was incredible. Like that was a super, super tense scene. And the fact that she, she is deaf, they really brought that out and how difficult in that, in that scene, because like, I'm just realizing like on the edge of my seat, like, Oh my gosh, she doesn't know. Like if she does make a sound, if she bumps against an arm, like I bump into stuff all the time. I don't even know it. And like stuff falls in my wake. Um, children like this screaming inside. I don't know, but like, she's not going to know. And then, and there's the door that she opens and like, Oh, it was just, she won't know if the thing's coming. I thought it did a really excellent job of, of, of building that tension. But one of my favorite like shots from the movie is sort of leading up to when she gets to the train, she walks past the train station and there's just all the shoes. There's all these, all these shoes that are at the station. They're all like high heels and stuff like that that are just like a couple of them are knocked down and they're just still, and they've been sitting there for two years or three years now, two and a half years, something like that. Um, and it's because of it. It just like, uh, you know, she notices it, but I just thought it was so cool. Cause it gave, I knew what had happened just immediately. Like a monster had come through and ripped these people out of, out like apart so fast that they had flown past and like out of their shoes, knock their shoes off, you know, left standing there without the person in it. I thought it was just like, that was just a brilliant little like world building single, single frame, couple of frames that, that I really appreciated. Yeah. I thought they did a good job yeah. with all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that moment was beautiful. I also really, sorry, just other shots that I really, really love uh, yeah. in the train. When you see the, the creature way yeah. off in the, in the distance, out of focus and you can't hear anything. Yeah. It's so, yeah, I mean, that's so good. Um, that whole scene around the train is probably the most beautiful part of the movie to me. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Individual scenes of this movie are like really engaging. Yeah. Like, I mm-hmm. think I, I really like most of the scenes and, and set pieces in this movie. Yeah, that that I think is probably what's going to keep me coming back because I just kind of like how all these different scenes, not even necessarily how they flow together, just how it's all just every individual one. It's cool. I agree, man. And there's something different because it's like I've seen tons of apocalyptic stuff, right? Like apocalypse movies are, are amazing. They're like I fall asleep to them. They're great. But but there's something really different. They, these are beautiful. Like they're beautifully shot. I I feel like there's a sense of hope. Like, like this movie is just full of hope. And these, these movies both are, and that's maybe, maybe they do something with the, with the camera to make it feel more like the colors are brighter and they're richer or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I honestly did notice the the colors and how, how much the colors pop and how warm and organic it feels. I'm not a huge, like I'm not super good at telling of, telling the difference between film and digital, but I know these movies were shot in film and it just feels so warm and real and comforting. Weirdly, weirdly enough. Yeah. 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 It really does. And that's, that's really strange. Like the world is not just a cold dead place. I think another really cool thing that keeps on arresting my attention in these movies is, you know, sometimes when I watch a movie, I drift off to my phone or whatever, but this movie is, has a lot of quiet parts. <laughs> too, a quiet part. too quiet. Too quiet to place. Um, too quiet so to like, part. Too quiet to part. Yeah. So I have to like, I have to actively engage and look at what's going on on the screen 
and what's going on the screen with the colors and the way it's being shot is just it's really engaging. And then usually the expressions of the characters' faces are are really engaging as well. Um, so yeah, this it, I think it kind of demands your attention most of the time. Yeah, that's, um, that's that's true. That's cool, Dom. I want to hear about the opening scene. I want to hear yes, the uh, opening scene. Because I, so I feel Lutney, like all of us you, sort of agree. Thank you, Lutney, for deferring, and thank you guys for deferring to me, so that I can claim this as my favorite yeah, scene. Yeah, man. Oh my gosh, I love this opening scene. Yeah, I, th- I think it's by far the best scene in in the movie. Not that not that any of those other scenes are bad. I think they're great. I think this movie has a lot of great scenes, but this one is definitely the best one for me. I just think it's really, really cool that the movie starts off with a flashback. It's like, it's clearly a flashback, but we don't know what, what day it is because all the streets are empty. So we think, okay, is this after they attacked, but maybe before we saw the town in the first movie. And then we see John Krasinski walking around. It's like, Oh my gosh, what's happening. So that's a little, a little fun twist that I like. Oh, they're just all at the game. And then we figure out that it's day one. So then you're just like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I think the opening scene does a really great job at like putting you back into the world, showing you like, okay, this is how it was. And this is how it started. Now we're back. Uh, Remember like, this is what the movie is about. It's about this family. So let's see. So let's see what they're like for, for a little bit before everything went insane. Yeah. I just, I love this opening scene. I think it's fantastic. And then when everything goes crazy, it absolutely goes crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, dude, I agree. One of the things that I, I'll call out is like one of my favorite things about this opening scene is I feel like so many shows or movies or whatever that do that, that go do that like throwback to to before the before times. Like I'm thinking of Lost, you know, when they when they do that, um, like you learn more about the characters and they become less good people or whatever. Like you care, you're like they get dirty. Um, or like The Walking Dead, they get somehow dirtier because you learn about their past. Yeah, they get as um, dirty as John Krasinski's hands get. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. But with this, they don't do that. Like they're they're just like this is a stand up dude, and these are good people. Everyone's good, good people here, which is which is really cool. I also loved how the movie made me remember that, like, oh yeah, two members of this family are dead. <laughs> you love that part <laughs> I, yeah you know the morbid type of me. but um i mean it was really sad when you realize the kid on this wing that she's pushing is is the one that dies it helps set the stakes because then you're remembering oh yeah people die in this series <laughs> uh which is really important because nobody dies for a long time in this movie and I think they do that really succinctly without hitting you over the head with it. Like, oh, John Krasinski's dead. Like, no, <laughs> here he is just being a dad and you're just missing that. Yeah. I thought that was really Yeah. Wild. Yeah, you're missing it. It's like you've lost your dad, too. Or like you've lost, yeah, you've lost someone important. Um, yeah. It really just felt like you're watching like a home video of like a lost loved one for a little bit. And then it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, depressing present. Yeah, that's cool. I've got I've got a fun so I noticed a store on Main Street in this town, whatever the town's called. I don't know if we know its name. There's a Radio Shack on the Main Street. Radio Shack went under in 2015. I did a deep okay. dive on this. And I was like, wait, how is there a Radio Shack? So that means that this must have happened before 2015. 
But then I did a little bit further of a diving, and it turns out there's still something like 20,000 or 2,000 Radio Shack stores that are like out there, and Radio Shack might be coming back or something like that. So, you know, I don't know. I was, I was going to throw that in and see like this didn't happen in 2020 or whatever. It happened in 2015, but there's no way of knowing. <laughs> also, like that's, that's Radio Shack placement right so they paid money to put their yeah. store in the movie maybe or you know probably or not. it's just it couldn't there be. and and they don't care because they're not going anymore so they're just like why we'll just use this why not well they they might have like i'm thinking they might have had the props like in the back and they're like oh hey radio shack can't sue us for using its image anymore because like I read, I, I found an art, I did a real dive on this. Like I found an article that was from the town that this was filmed in to say like, John Krasinski's A Quiet Place Part 2 is filming here. You can see that's why there's a Radio Shack logo. Isn't that weird? Radio Shack's been out of business for years. Yeah. thought that weird. was a little. Where was it filmed? In Northern New York. Okay. Upstate New York. Oh, not yeah. not New York, New York. There's more. <laughs> Letney, let let there's more of New York than just just the city. <laughs> Again, uh, so we're so informative on this podcast. <laughs> People learn so many things. I'm on Wikipedia right now. There are like five different counties that it could have been in, or like five different towns that it could be. Yeah. So oh, okay. it's somewhere in New York, but not New York, New York. I did it see is a, a video wonderful of um, John Krasinski breaking down that initial scene, and he did say that the scene, uh, the town they used to film in Quiet Place Part Two, is different from the one in Quiet Place Part One. Oh, mm. interesting. That is weird. I was wow, weirdly obsessed really with the fact now. that there was a Radio Shack sign, though. Like it was weird. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, weirded out by myself. Like I went back and rewatched that opening like multiple times. I, I, I like zoomed in. I don't know. I don't know. Is it in the first one? No, it is not in the first one. Huh. At least because I was gonna I say if it's it. like if it's in the first one, then they have to like copy paste for the second one. But I do not think it was in the first. I don't think we huh. got that wide of a shot. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty short that we. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty small amount of time in the city. Yeah, and I I also think they did like they did a good job too. So like they used that moment to answer several questions that we have like. So on that on that whiteboard that we're all very familiar with and the world's just sort of made fun of for, for several years, in the first one, it says, like, they know that guns don't hurt them. But we find out that they do. Like, they do actually blow the guy's head off. And so at the end of the first one, so we were like, oh, no, they've just got this really strong armor. And, like, I don't know, in the back of my mind, I was always wondering, like, what, how, did, how did Lee Abbott know that they can't kill them. Like, gosh, guns make a lot of noise. And it's because of that police officer who played Hercules Mulligan. I'm not going to try to say his name. Yeah. Like I thought that that was really cool too. What they did with the kid with the, with the older son with Marcus there. I don't know. Did you, did you have any thoughts on, on that Dom? Wait, you mean him like playing baseball? Not so much playing baseball, but like sort of the immediate response, like with his mom and stuff. I mean, I, so like, I thought it was very cool. They made it very clear that they were going to be focusing on on these kids, and uh, it sort of shows him getting traumatized and like seeing. Oh my gosh! Yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. This was actually the part that I was going to talk about. I sort of just completely yeah. forgot to talk about it. The like no, my favorite shot in the entire movie is that long take in the car with the mom and the two sons. It just starts out 
very calm. Like we've already seen them start to attack and then it cuts to that, the other car. It's very calm. And then we just see like chaos is happening around them, but you're not quite sure what's going on until we see the creature from the bus. And Marcus is in the front seat, so he's right there. I just remember like being super, super tense in the, in the theater watching that. And I actually almost cried from how tense it was. I was just oh, yeah. like shaking. I don't know why. Cause then I watched it again and I was like, Oh, this is like, whatever. I mean, it's, it's still cool. And I really, really yeah. love it. I don't know. Yeah. Just, it got to me in a really weird way. The first Dude, time I saw it. I think well, that I remember seeing that in the trailers and I felt, I felt sort of the same way. Like that, that moment was yeah, in the trailers. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the whole thing, but it it's an experience that I feel like I had as a kid, you know, like hmm. definitely, or, or at least, like whenever you sit in the passenger seat, like you have no control at all. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever gotten in an accident, but like that's, that's a terrifying feeling in an accident. And imagine, yeah. And like being, being a kid uh, and aliens, just seeing that. So. And, yeah. Yeah. So and that experience is just like, so such, I don't know for me, that's like such a, a defining characteristic of what it felt like to be 13 is like, I wanted to do things and I couldn't do anything. I was like riding in the passenger seat and watching the world fall apart around me. Like that's what it felt yeah. like. Yeah. The way they did it like is so visceral. I imagine in the theaters it would have been awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Whole. No, it's it was fantastic. Yeah, no, it's just it's because it's just right in front of him. And they're yeah. they're backing up as fast as they possibly can. And it's just right there. And yeah. he's like, what, ten feet away from you know, ten or twenty feet away from it. Like obviously they've all been through scary stuff, but he was just a kid and he was right there seeing that. So that makes, like, it, de- it definitely makes more sense why he's so terrified in the first one. Yeah. Apart from all the other stuff, of yeah. course. But. All right. So talk, you're talking about the opening scene and how that was kind of, like, tense and fearful. Did, did you feel that throughout the movie or was it just in that scene? I mean, I, I, I definitely felt it here and there. Like, in, I guess in all the scenes that we've talked about. Okay. And definitely also, yeah. Yeah, so... so I, I felt it, but I guess not as definitely not as much as in the first scene. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. I, I felt it in the train too. Like I felt terrified in the oh, train because yeah. you didn't know. I mostly felt frustrated, dude. I was like, they've got this like super They're special so weapon. Dumb. Like, why aren't they taking full advantage of it? Just walk around with it on all the time. Yeah. I, I also noticed a major plot hole with the weapon, but maybe I'll insert that another point uh okay so frustrated and then and then all right so for dom it worked for mike it didn't did it didn't it did not work it was half and half all right sorry let me do it work for you you talk about the the fear factor yeah um yeah so i think uh my, my experience in the theater was very visceral but i agree with mike that especially in the end with all those inner inner cut scenes it's like tension combined with frustration because of how stupid some of the characters are acting. Um, so I think it, it, it sort of worked for me, but a lot of it is frustration. Yeah. I, I, I felt a lot of the tensity. I felt a lot of the, the fear factor that, yeah, I felt it all. I felt it throughout. I'm going to say it worked for me. Yeah. I do see what you're saying with the, the splicing. Like it would have been nice to have scenes build up a little more. Yeah. Like, well, I think it's and also if you, like if you like, look at the first one, we don't know if it, they can be killed. So that's a huge amount of tension. But yeah. now we know they can be killed. So it's just a question of when and how. Like, yeah, it's just but, not the same tension. 
part with the mom like having a gun not having access to the weapon and like when she when evelyn like blows up the the thing i thought it's just really cool but it's like oh that's still ineffective though like you need to find something else you need to find something else quick i still i still feel that pressure it's just it's the splicing uh going back and forth so quickly i don't think it allows that to really develop and then you keep on having to remember, like, oh, yeah, what, what are they in? Oh, yeah, she's trying to sneak into the studio. Like, oh, dude, when she sneak into the studio and, like, she like, her foot lands on the piece of paper and it slides yeah, a little bit. It's like, it's going to knock down all the shit on that desk yeah. right now. <laughs> Do not move. You just keep your foot flat. Come on. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, right there. I, wanna, I, I just got to say right there, my biggest issue with this movie, it's been two years since the apocalypse happened. Nothing sticks. Like they open up that that little window, that window should be sticking. Like like it should be. I I like my my biggest. Well, they like, have been using that radio station. Though, Wait, right? no, yeah, no, no. no. They, they the people have been there. The people yeah. have been there on the island. But they they at. haven't been opening there, there that no window. There are no creatures on the island. No, no, no. There's, there's that little window. There's that uh, little window. The window. They yeah. haven't been opening. It's like <laughs> one person drives up and like puts the thing on. They haven't been there in like a month. You know, like this. It, but it's just it's true throughout like the whole thing. Like if it was me. Like, like, like Jamakatsu comes in and oils the window every day. Exactly. Like, nothing, st- everything moves perfect, you know. Okay. I, I'm, well, I'm just, not going to, this is like my window. parasite thing. That That is, that's a very small thing. It's just one window, and they've been using it. It's been in use. The, so, the, like, somebody probably said, hey, this is sticking. Can you get out the WD-40? All right. Uh, no. <laughs> Too much work for me. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, what about these? All right, Letty, you keep on saying that the monsters are basically not scary anymore. So do they not work for you anymore? No, not in this movie. Okay. All right. There's just no reason to fear them. They're easily incapacitated. Yeah, but they're but they're even only halfway incapacitated, as you learn on the trade, when it's still about to kill Regan. Yeah, and like half the people, half the storyline is they don't have the weapon. So what do they do? They're not completely ineffective. They're far less effective than the first one. Yeah, I no, I agree, and I think that that's most likely the reason why they had to split everyone up. Because like, okay, they're a family unit, and now they know how to kill the monsters. So how do we make the second one scary? Oh, we have to split them all up so so i think it's a smart decision because that's kind of the only way that it kind of even still works because you know if you can't make the creature stronger you should make the characters weaker okay so marcus gets injured evelyn is like separated from the baby there's the baby we don't know if we can trust Emmett, and regan is deaf so they're all pretty weak in this movie yeah Um, so so i do think that's smart but again it's like still pretty contrived that they're all separate but I do think that's like the reason why I don't know if that's why, but that's, it, it does work for me. And I can see that that's a smart decision that they made. So maybe that's why it, I don't know. Just worked for me. Yeah. So here's my alternate pitch for the plot. Imagine if they focused on the humans. Ooh, okay. So we do need to break them up. Right. So imagine if the, the, the doc gang came and kidnapped one of the kids and now they're in separate places, and there is an immediate there's immediate tension, without mm-hmm. them having this artificial reason to split up. An- another possibility. So, like, that's good. Right, yeah. So after after you've given birth, 
like I'm talking to some people and friends, namely women, uh, who have gone through it. Like some women could bounce back pretty quick from it. Most people can't. So what if, hypothetically, <laughs> Evelyn does not bounce back so quickly and they need to get her medicine or something? And it's like the story of of Regan out to get like meds yeah. Yeah. for her like ailing mother and and then Marcus tried to take care of it. You still had get like this emotional impact mostly. Uh and it like has a more natural I don't know, um, outside like force happen, uh, how outside tenseness happening here uh, that I think would try yeah, it a little better. I, I do like that. Uh, oh, I guess this is like a is this a sidebar? I don't know, like alternate pitches for, for <laughs> yeah. part two. <laughs> but yeah, no, I like yeah, that because you can definitely <laughs> sweet. Yes, okay. So you can definitely like you can definitely justify her being you know okay in the first one. As like, oh, it's just a massive adrenaline rush because like all this crazy stuff is happening. But by the time we get to, they're walking for a while, so I can definitely see like that the adrenaline rush wears off, and now she just is there and needs a lot of help. All right, all right. Wh- which pitch is better, mine or less? <laughs> I like, I like, I like Jesse's. That one makes sense. That's real. That's a real one. I like I. It's more real, but I think Latinx is more fun. But yeah. I also think that if they may, if they do part three, they could, like those people are still there. They could totally still mess around. No, with they're them. not. So. They are not still oh, there. They're all they're, dead. They're all dead. But presumably, no, I mean, there's like, other there's, villains out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like Emmett says, like the people out here are not worth saving. So he probably figured like there are probably a lot more people out there who are doing bad stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Who's right, the I, real Walking Dead? Mm. <laughs> mm. I'm gonna add that sidebar. I think we're out of there. Let's not get nice. too sidetracked at the okay, sidebar. Okay. Okay. So we got like we're we're kind of in the middle of like the what worked, what didn't section. Well, I, I, let let's just like let's go quick. Maybe. Well, actually, the next one is going to be longer. But you like, Killian Murphy, did he work? Did he work, guys? Did you like For, Emmett? I liked Emmett, and specifically, I liked this one thing. No, two things about him when he's first introduced. You know, obviously there's a character at all. But I love the fact that he's wearing shoes. Which <laughs> Yes! <laughs> this is this is really cool because like I think, you know, when you're introduced to this movie, you're like, oh, to survive in this world, you need sand and you need to go barefoot. Like, obviously. But yeah, no, actually, no. No, you can wear shoes, and it's and it's completely fine. He's survived. <laughs> and and also also, he's wearing a mask, which is like that. I think about that a lot. Like, dude, you're breathing really heavy right now. Are the monsters not attracted to that? Right? And he actually has a solution. Just wear oh, a mask to muffle the sound. Yeah, muffle the sound of your breath. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I assumed he just put it on to disguise himself from them, but that—that's a great explanation. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, like I love the fact that he's another yeah, like top tier survivor who's lasted for a long time. So he has his own ways, and I also realize that shoes are fine. <laughs> what, so what it shows us is that the the Abbott family they're 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 not doing half of the things they're doing for survival. They're doing it because they're hippies. Like that's that's the truth. Like they're just you know they're grounding. That's what they're doing. They're just like staying grounded, staying chill. Yeah. Uh, but I also like the fact that and this is when I really started thinking in this movie that maybe the Abbots maybe they really don't have it all figured out 
So maybe, maybe you know, we were we were going off on like the bard thing in the last episode. And, you know, maybe they shouldn't have done that. Maybe the best decision is to not do that, and maybe the best decision is to wear shoes. And I think you you can make really good arguments to wear shoes, and it'd be okay. But they have their own ideas, and it tends to be working. And they s- seem to be like the sort of people that are like, if it works, keep doing it. It doesn't matter. Don't deviate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really cool. It, t- it tells you a lot about the Abbots and the way this world is working and also the way we should be seeing them right now. I think that's really cool. It's cool. Did he work for uh, you guys? Did, did, Emmett, did Emmett work for you guys, Letney, Dom? Or did, yeah. did he not work for either of you? I mean, I don't think that Emmett is like a particular, I guess compared to the other characters, I don't think he's particularly compelling, but I think mm-hmm. Killian Murphy does a phenomenal job. And I totally get, like, I totally buy him as a character, yeah. but I don't think he detracted either from the movie. So I think he's, I think he's fine. The character is fine. I think the performance is really good. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I never feel like he did. I feel like he raises every movie he's in. So like, like I, I like, yeah. I just like him personally or something. I do. I do feel like, like he, I, we've seen this guy before sort of, and I kind of let other stuff I've seen do some of the heavy lifting with his character. I think a little bit, but so I, I, I do want to ask, like, to bog us down a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so so when they first, like, meet up, like, Evelyn says to him, you know, when you saw the flame night after night, did you know it was him? And he says, yes. She says, did you ever think to come for us? And he said, no. The people that are left, what they become, well, you don't know, you don't know do you? They're not the kind of people worth saving. And then a little later on, they keep talking and she says, you're nothing like him about like, she's nothing like uh, Jim Halper. I mean, John Krasinski. I, I feel like like there's this backstory tension between these two people. So like like that was weird to me. I don't know why we're talking about that. Like these guys were friends in life. Like they had kids on the same baseball team. But I don't know. There's There's some tension here in the first place. In the second place. How does he know that the people who are out here aren't worth saving? Like he's just lived in this, you know, like he chose to live in this this mill or whatever, this manufacturing plant. Mm. Like I feel like if you run into people, you either die immediately or they die immediately, one or the other. I, I feel like it's difficult to continue surviving after you meet others. Yeah. Well, I think a couple things. There are at I think the mill was a more recent location for him. I think he's been there ever since his wife died, or that's where he took her because it was safer. Right there, there's yeah, a reason. So I think their son yeah, died yeah, yeah. almost immediately, and then the yeah. wife was sick, and it got to the point where she was screaming, so he took her to the mill. Mm-hmm. So to Mike's point, yeah, he's only interacted with his wife and son. So unless they got real terrible, <laughs> he has no reason to think that humanity has gotten bad. He, well, that's his wife what died we eleven know. weeks eleven weeks prior. Yeah. So he's probably out exploring for a little bit. He probably did. There's two exploratory types. Eh. Well, there's a lot of exploratory types. Maybe he just likes exploring a little more, right? So maybe he had personally gone out a little bit more outside okay. of where his family had yeah. been to scout the local area. And then maybe after his wife died, he went out to see if he could, like, I don't know, find people, found them, realized, oh shit, and then went back. Okay. Yeah. And right. I also right. remember, remember, um, Jaiman Hansu's story about the people getting on the boats and how everyone was cr- like 
crowding and trying to push their way onto the boat. So only two boats were able to leave, even though there were 12. So I'm sure like, it's definitely plausible that like he was in some sort of scenario where he was with a bunch of other people and like, I don't know, maybe they all turned on each other or I don't know. It seems like that's, that's plausible that he was in a vaguely similar situation. I can't wait I mean, for the can... prequel, the Emmett place, you know, <laughs> where you figure out more about Emmett's backstory and his travels to these terrible games and what happens to him there. I mean, it seems like we're doing what we did last time where we're, we're picking we're nets. apologizing for the we're movie. We're apologizing yeah. for the movie. And I guess to me, this is my biggest disappointment in the movie. The movie I wanted to see is the movie about the people left aren't worth saving. And that's not really the movie mm. we got. I think that's yeah. definitely going to that be. Movie. That's definitely going to be part three. I think it's going to be there worth saving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh. But like, why wasn't it the second one? You know, like what did the second one give us? Apart from a little, I, we I can't get back into this. No, I yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It's going to be about that tension, that tension between uh, Emmett and Evelyn as well. Like that's probably they're they're building that up because I feel like. Like there's some serious tension between them. Like like they're angry at each other for some reason. And it seems external to the fact that like his trap like hurt her kid, right? Like like there's some tension about about Lee and Emmett and Evelyn and like that's such a crazy line to say to someone that you're trying to get yeah. off from. Like you're nothing like my incredible husband was. Well, but I thought it was just that like the husband stepped up and was a hero, and he is clearly not being a hero. I that that's where it came from. That he wants, yeah. he's not he's not helping these people in need. You know, he's yeah. rejecting them. He's didn't, them away. Maybe. Didn't Regan say? Isn't Regan the one that said you're nothing like him? No, I he probably she probably said it too. But yeah, Regan um, does. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's Regan that says it. I think she says it. A couple Evelyn times. says it. I, I, dude, I wrote this down. I don't know. I'm Regan I'm, says it at least twice. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if she <laughs> did. I wrote it down as Evelyn saying it. I I could be, you know, you know, listeners, let us know. Let me know that I'm wrong, please. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. But he worked. He worked. He worked. He did work for me. Even yeah. I'm picking nits and whatnot. Nicking pits. Nice. <laughs> nicking you pit. nicking pit. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Wait, sorry. The... Just one side remark. So there's a spinoff and there's possibly a part three. At least that's what Wikipedia says. There's going to be a spinoff directed and written by Jeff Nichols. And there's also probably going to be a third one that John Krasinski is working on. So I uh, can't wait for probably an Emmett place. Like whatever we're saying, whatever we're saying probably could end up like the, the spinoff could be about those people or it could be about Emmett or anything like that. So there are definitely like multiple directions that they're working on right now, I think. Army of the uh, Evans. What, what army of the army Emmets, of the yeah. Emmets? <laughs> one spin off I don't want to see. Imagine this, right? It's about the old couple from the first one, and the movie oh, ends with him. Yes. <laughs> it's a rom com. Yeah, <laughs> it's a rom com. Oh man, a quiet, um, a quiet place presents. A quiet place presents. <laughs> a quiet place presents. Old love, amazing. Uh, <laughs> a quiet all right, love. All right. All right. So, other right. speaking of speaking of survivors who've made it work in different ways, how how about the marina people? Did they work for us? I feel like we've already talked a little bit about. Yeah, they worked for me. They worked like hell for me. Yes. Yeah, they Anybody worked else? like hell for me too. And yeah. Monday, I know they work for you. Yeah. All right. Do you want to do a sidebar here? Do we want to sidebar. do a sidebar? All right. Sidebar. We've been dumb. If you are cast into the Quiet Place universe, there are 
uh, noise hungry. I don't know if they're hungry. I don't know if they eat, but they're creatures who want to rip you to shreds if you make they do. noise. They do indeed. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to survive? Oh my gosh. I, so I kind of just realized that like this was a question that we were going to be talking about like yeah. right before we started. Well, so I don't just like just. Super- just like the people exactly, realize yeah. when it happens. So here you go. Yeah. It's, exactly. it's game time, exactly. buddy. Um, yeah. All I know is that I would first have to focus, like phase one would be survival, right? My, my girlfriend is several thousand miles away in mm. Southern California, and mm. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia right now. So I'm pretty sure, have you guys seen Love and Monsters? No. Yeah. No. Okay, Love and Monsters. Okay, love, just watch Love and Monsters. It's fantastic. But <laughs> yeah, I would, I would have fun. to do... I would have to do what he does, which is he has to to brave a dangerous journey across many miles. I think he, I think for him it's like seven miles. So for me, it'd be a lot longer. I would have to figure out how to get to California. But once I get to California, her brother is like a super like survivalist sort of guy. So I would just find him and hang out with him, and I think I'd be okay if I didn't like mm. trip on something because I I would definitely I would I would die in this universe by just tripping like stubbing my toe. I do that like every day mm. it's really bad mm-hmm. but because i walk around barefoot all the time the soles of my feet are pretty tough so i could definitely survive like if i had to be barefoot that's good to know so that's my very ill thought out plan i would probably die but whatever so step okay. one travel thousands of miles to california all right you're mm-hmm. gonna die Letney, what's yes, what's your <laughs> what's what's your survival plan? <laughs> so here's the thing I never understood about these movies, and I guess it's good for building tension. But why are they why are they focusing on being quiet rather than making noise? <laughs> so like my strategy for surviving would involve a lot of Bluetooth speakers, because it seems like whenever you're in danger, just throw a speaker. It's like playing fetch with the animals, you know, <laughs> the aliens. Like why not just start a noise source away from you? We have the technology now, you know, Oof. set of speakers everywhere, you know, this was way I, back in 2015. I agree, but like, but I've had, I've I mean, had Bluetooth speakers that, since, since college. I, I, I'm joking. I was making, wouldn't that, wouldn't you lose a speaker like every time you would be yeah. in any sort of danger? It would, sure. Your, your speaker so, like, it supply would dwindle very quickly. But most people are dead. So you just go to Best Buy and you just clear them out. <laughs> well, okay. So, so, so you have so them on. You've already survived though. <laughs> yeah, how do, how do you get that far? Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> You've already survived at this point. How did you survive in the first place? You know, like like if you're going to Best Buy because everyone's died and just like stealing crap, like like you've already survived. How did you, how did you get there? How did you make it past past the other people? Were you just <laughs> well, quiet? I have a Bluetooth speaker at home, so oh, you got one. That's cool. <laughs> I, you know, I love the Bluetooth speaker idea. Here, all right, I, th- I think here's what I'd do. First off, I got to keep the kids quiet. I, I'm not going to tell you how I do that, but I'm going to keep them quiet. <laughs> I just, I tell my wife to just take care of them. I'm running to the store to get one Bluetooth speakers and two drones. Mm. You get yeah. some drones. Yeah. You get like lots of drones, and then you attach. You just yeah. tape. The Bluetooth speakers to the to the, <laughs> to drones. the drones, and then you just send them off. Yeah, they will be entertained for hours trying to reach that thing. It would be great. You could probably pull all the aliens together because just turn off the volume, and then they'll make a racket trying to get to it. 
And then that would look just, so like, funny. They would just be jumping. <laughs> How about this? Like they would just be like 100 aliens jumping. Attach a speaker to a drone, flat out over the ocean. All the aliens run into the ocean. Problem that, solved. That would be great if I didn't live in Phoenix, Arizona. True. <laughs> <laughs> I'll run them into a cactus. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so my first step, though, Lenny, so you can't do this, is to take the family to the beach. Mm. Because I do live in Southern California. And the waves are loud. Lucky you. So we yeah. put the kids near the beach. They have a fun beach day. You know, they don't have to watch all the people die. They're just hanging out there <laughs> near the surf, not worrying about a thing. And then then I go to the store and get the drones and the Bluetooth speakers. That's so you just leave them at the beach? Well, you know, I mean, like at some point we're going to have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you need, and of course, we're all relying on the store for food because none of us can mention anything about what to do with food and water. I think Real. there's fish in the sea. I've heard, I've heard that people like, I've seen fishermen at the ocean. I don't yeah. really know anything about that, but well, they lived on fish for like two years. No, well, I'm just gonna say, both of us live in Phoenix. We might have, we have to get out of town fast because there is no food sources. <laughs> <laughs> scorpions Maybe, scorpions yeah. and rattlesnakes <laughs> yeah there's some coyotes that, well they'll, they'll get eaten really quick though. <laughs> yeah no we're, we're just relying on and we would have to we have to cross the desert on foot so Oof. we might just be doomed <laughs> but okay, you know I actually had a question luckily, I had a- luckily they will just like it'll be so miserable for them to be here that they won't. They'll just like pass through. Like, I mean, you're assuming hot. that the aliens don't like heat, which hasn't been established. Let's say they they don't like heat. They're in nice New York. Yeah. Okay. Upstate, not didn't, not the city. Didn't they? Didn't they come on like an asteroid or something? Like that's yeah. got to be pretty hot. Uh, I assume you can see like the, the spaceship. The yeah, fire. It's a spaceship. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just I just assumed that it was an asteroid. It's going way too slow to be. Have you ever seen one of those? An asteroid? Yeah. I mean, like, not that big in in person, but, you know, (laughs) there are those Russian. Like, that happened a few years ago in Russia. Remember? Oh, the dash cam? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that thing's moving fast. This one is moving, like, really slow. Hmm. Wait, Dom, so what, what's your explanation? Is the idea that the aliens are just living on the asteroid and it crashes? Okay, honestly, I didn't think about it that much. And um, <laughs> I also remembered that in the original script that I sent you guys, like you definitely, like they mentioned a spaceship. So I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a spaceship. I honestly don't know why I thought it was an asteroid. It just, I just saw like a big glowing object. And I was like, oh, it's an asteroid, whatever. Yeah, these are it, it looks like an aliens, asteroid. Though. They're yeah. eating off their entire food source like really quickly unless they are not the real monsters at all and they're just like it's like that stupid movie that came out uh i can't remember where like the aliens are actually all just like pets on a ship and that's the i mean it was a plot twist but oh so the real aliens are the are the pets we found along the way (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome oh that is awesome Okay, well, I think I think I'm gonna end the sidebar. I think we all know. Good. Nice. Sidebar ended. We would all die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we would all die. Yes. The Abbott's clearly... Dude, I'm living my best how, life at the beach, whatever. It's scary how fast we hold on. But, Mike, you wanted to ask something about the first one that we never got to. But do you want to talk about it here? Yeah, yeah. So, um, in the first movie, uh, Evelyn Abbott says... In the first place, I feel like we didn't really talk about Evelyn that much in the first movie. And I, I feel like that's a bit of a disservice. So, I'm, I'm sorry. But I think, you know, we've talked about her a bit here. We've got more. But, but she says something in the first one that I think is really applicable here. And it's kind of a question that the movie's asking. And, and I think, I think because of this, this is why people really love it um, so much. But the question that she asks of uh, Lee Abbott, while well, he's still alive and it's after, um, after Bo has died, it's been a couple of years and they're sort of talking or, or just being together. And she says to him, who are we if we can't protect them? Which is a, uh, Oh, I don't know. It's just a beautiful phrasing of a question. I feel like I have for myself uh, regularly with my children. You know, um, I've got little kids and they trip and fall sometimes or like uh, they interact with other kids and, and like a kid is mean to them. And it makes me like, who am I if if I can't protect them? And I, I don't know. I want to hear what you guys think about about that question with these movies. because I kind of feel like it's the essential question of these movies that that's mm-hmm. sort of they're building this um not the not the sci-fi universe, but the moral universe out of. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, I mean, like, and maybe, maybe Jesse, this is a question more for you, but like, dude, who are we if we can't protect our kids? And how long, like, like, what does it mean to protect your kids? Given that we always want to, like, make our kids' lives better than what we have right now, we're basically nothing if we can't protect our kids. Like, yeah, you, mm-hmm. yeah, I really, it's, it's your entire, your kids are your life. And obviously there are things that, that we like to do, like podcasts outside of raising kids, but even that <laughs> tends to be kid focused, which this is, um, I mean, like, yeah, if you can't protect them, if you can't, if you can't establish their safety, yeah, you've got, it, it's it's really hard to come up with something else for, for you to do. And 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 this movie, they really just function as parents. These, these people have like nothing they really enjoy doing. All they're doing is like parent stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's one. uh, Yeah. In this movie, definitely. There's one scene in the first movie when the two of them are dancing together, but that's right. That's about it. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wonder if you'd say that, like, what they enjoy doing is being parents and, like, having a farm and, you know, being Playing quiet. Monopoly. No, they do not play Monopoly. <laughs> kids play Monopoly. He gets angry at his true. kids. <laughs> <laughs> really, really bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I felt like, like, that was just, that line just went, like, straight through my heart because... Mm-hmm. I, yeah, like, I don't know, seeing, um, yeah, seeing when my kids do get hurt, because they do, like, that's the thing. It's like, I feel I feel like being a parent is just this constant realization of your inability to fully protect them, and also how it's it's maybe wrong to, and obviously, like, our kids are are young still, like, my, my oldest is five, like I've said a million times, but, you know, like, we've got to, like, I let her use butter knives now. Um, you know, cause, cause I, like, if I don't let her use butter knives, that's not good for her. She's got to learn how to use a knife and she's fine. Yeah. 
like a, a two-year-old can't hurt themselves with a butter, butter knife usually, but there's this level or this, this part of protect protecting them where it's, you know, you're, you're letting them go in a way. Yeah, I get that. It's, I mean, it's, it's so painful. I'm so happy this isn't the apocalypse right now because uh, <laughs> it, it'd be so rough to like, for your kids not to be able to do like the most basic things and for everything to be about like survival from like walking to like, I, I don't know, like setting the table, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is what they're going through right now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They have it to a much, much worse extent. And it's, yeah, I'm, I, I feel for them deeply, which is probably why I'm so drawn to these movies in the first place. Cause it's like, Oh, dude, I know, this would be so hard. You guys are kind of great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I feel like that's, yeah. I feel like this is a question we're asking or like, I don't know, something that we're doing with this podcast, right? Is like, we're, we're asking like, okay, how do we show our kids movies that are going to like increase our knowledge of the world or like, like in make them understand like kind of hard realities maybe, or like really cool stuff. Like when are they going to be ready for that? How long do we need to protect them? And like, like there's got to be this point that we sort of push past or something like that. I don't know. I, I thought that that was got to a, a real heart. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Uh, this these movies are so family centered, which is I think the thing that makes us a crowd pleaser because like either one you you kind of imagine yourself in any of these roles, or you were a kid, so it's easy to imagine that, or Two, you're a kid, and you can kind of relate to all these kids on screen. Or you're a parent, and you know what they're going through. And it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it it works on this, like, massive scale. And also, like, you know, they might not make the best decisions, but frankly, these people are pretty upstanding individuals. And I also love the fact that it kind of shows how you can have a protagonist who is not you know, the, the Superman of the story. And I think part two kind of like subverts the idea that they were the best of the best in the first one, even though you thought they kind of were, uh, that you don't have to be, but he, he's like the best dad. Yeah. You know, he may not be. Yeah. Sorry. What? I was just gonna, like, you keep saying that. I don't know if I agree with you. I'm not going to argue with you on that, but I just want to put it in there. Like, I don't, I don't know if I agree with you that it, like subverts that idea too much. But that's all like like that. They're the best of the best. But um, but I, I mean, so it, it feels like in this one, we get a real like foil. Right, guys, for for um, Lee Abbott with Emmett, with Cillian Murphy, mm-hmm. or Killian Murphy's character. Yeah, um, he wasn't able to protect his kids. And it's probably not through any fault of his own. Uh, he wasn't really able to protect anybody. Everything sort of falls away. I don't know. Like that seemed that seemed very purposeful to me. Yeah. It, it seems like he's just sort of the accidental de facto new father figure, right? For her, even though she ends up being the one to, you know, kill the monster at the very end and hook up the, you know, the sound to the radio station, all that sort of thing. He's, he's almost just tagging along with her for a lot of it, but he's also there to protect her and to bring her back. Um, so it's yeah. like, he's, in, in some way, it's like he's her new father figure, but in another way, it's like she is now the parent in a way because mm. she is maturing and she's be- becoming an adult basically in this movie. That's interesting. And so she doesn't need him as much as she would have needed him 
there's someone like him in the first movie i think maybe yeah that's interesting i thought of it more like he uh he's sort of redeemed by her existence her coming into his life like mm. when they get to the mill or whatever that place is he's wearing his mask like he's covering himself up he has hidden himself from them completely he has denied his uh very sort of existence uh, as a person or his personality because he's lost everything. He has nothing to fight for anymore. And only through uh, fighting, you know, stepping in with, with Regan and with, uh, with the family and, and being forced to, to help them is he sort of redeemed, right? Like, yeah, he has someone to protect. Yeah. I think that's he has something right. to live I, for. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, who are we if we can't protect them? I think that that's what happens to Killian Murphy. He is what happens when, when you can't protect somebody and then he gets people back and then starts realizing that he can protect others because he thought that the only person he should be protecting was himself. And he kind of realized like the, the idea of being a parent and being selfless for your, for your kids is something that you need to extend in your life through not just to uh, not just to your own and not just to yourself, but maybe to others, but he refuses to do it to others because he thinks nobody else is worth saving in his words. Mm-hmm. And he finally learns that through through Regan. First through Regan and then more in general, like on the island. Oh, just yeah. I, I don't think we're ever gonna talk about the like we haven't brought up the island at all, but uh Oh yeah. There's this one scene that <laughs> I just love so much. It's like an ultimate dad moment. It's when the like they, they, Killian like saves a kid, and then there's uh the guy I can't remember who the man on the island. I don't even think he has a name. He has a son, yeah. and he just like straight facedly like, like just matter of fact, there are no games about it. <laughs> oh yeah, puts his kid in the closet, puts the other kid right next to him in the closet, closes the door, and runs out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's so great. Like yeah. when you're in an apocalypse situation, your dad, that's what you should do. Yeah. No game, son. Get in the closet now. <laughs> Just I'm putting you find the most yeah, find the most sound absorbent place in the house, which of course will be the closet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. How do you guys nice. feel about that though? Like, like is that does that fill you with hope? Like, we're nothing without children. Is that what this movie is saying? Like, without our kids, we are not ourselves. I think that's definitely true. If we're, I think the movie is saying that if you know, through the characters of the, you know, to contrast Lee Abbott with Emmett, right. As we said, like he's just, he has, he has no children left. He has nothing to live for. He is a shell of his former self. And Lee in contrast, you know, gave his life to protect his children and to ensure that his family will continue. Like his, his children will live and that will be, you know, a source of hope for the future. Right. Like the movie is de- definitely contrasting those two, and I think this movie, yeah. m- even more than the last one, is like as again as we've already said. I'm just reiterating. Like this movie, part two, is about the passing the torch on to those children, right? Because mm-hmm. the climax of the movie is Regan is like hooks up the sound and stabs the the one creature, and Marcus shoots the other creature, and that's yeah. the movie, right? So it's it's this movie. I think the first movie is I think more about the parents giving everything for their kids, right? Both yeah. like helping them survive and also helping them thrive. And also of course, making the ultimate sacrifice. 
And this movie, I think, is more about passing the torch on. And it's about the kids maturing and being able to then pass it on to whoever else they will come in contact with. I mean, yeah, so so there's that aspect, and that is really cool. But I also think the so the the way you're taking it, Dom, is like kind of beyond the scope of what we're seeing. It's going to become uh, and flourish into something even more, and it's implying that in the movies. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and yeah, I think you're definitely right. But even more so, I think it's almost like it's just trying to make the case that it's just better to be a a John Krasinski, a, a Lee Abbott. Than it is to be a Killian Murphy, than it is to be an Emmett. Like that, this is just a better way to to live your life. And this sort of person, this sort of like giver, is um, it's it's a very appealing lifestyle. They make it seem kind of appealing here. You know, I like we're talking about like yeah. the warm colors and the way the movie kind of like is visually it makes you it makes you feel it makes you feel nice inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that part is cool. I think it. The movie shows like a good life, like a lifestyle that's uh, that's worth living, and I think that's really cool. As a dad, I totally see it and appreciate it. And also, I think it's, I think it's trying to be more general than just parents, though. I think it's trying to say like this sort of life giving this should not. I, I don't think it's exclusive to kids. I think the answer, like who are you, if you can't protect them, the answer is like you can still become somebody who protects somebody else. You could still give your life for somebody else. As as we see Emmett kind of become. He's ready to give his life for for Regan. And I he becomes like Lee Emmett at the end of part two. And mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Um he but his kids are dead now. So there's still life for him after the fact. Did that answer your questions about the the line? Or did you draw anything more from it yourself? No, I mean, I think that's it. I, I, I thought it was just a beautiful, I, it's, you know, a family that's lost a child. Like I imagine yeah. that's something that they, you always, you always think. And it's, I can't imagine going through that. Uh, it, it would be the worst possible, possible thing that could happen. But it's something that also, you know, we, I don't know. I, I know that I think about it every day. You know, what, what's, what's my worth if I can't protect them? Who, who am I if I can't protect these kids? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that that's that's very much what this is this is about. And also, yeah, I don't know. Like, do you think we can move to the next question or Lightning? Did you have anything to add to add to this? No, not really. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you guys are saying. Yeah, it's a lot of sense. Now let's go to the next question. Like, um, and I feel like like Dom, you've all, you you already answered it uh, from your perspective at least. Like, um, so like, does does this movie matter? Like, is it necessary? Is it important? Yeah, that's a really good question because I really, really like this movie. But I don't, and I've already answered yes that I will show this to my kids right <laughs> yeah. after I show it to the first one, uh, then the first one. But I don't think it's necessary, right? Like we all know that the first movie like ended perfectly, right? We talked about that last yeah. time. I don't know. It's kind of, it's the same way I feel about movies like Toy Story 4, right? I really like Toy Story 4. I think it's a great movie but it's completely unnecessary. Like three is the perfect ending, right? There's no reason for four to exist, pretty much. But I, I really like it, and I would show that to my kids too. So I don't think this movie is necessary, but I still, for what it is, for being an unnecessary continuation, I think it's really good. 
what is a necessary movie? <laughs> most movies are pretty, like, you know, do I need to show my kids most? Of the, do I need to show them Spider-Man? The answer is like, no, but I just really want to. Blasphemy! Blasphemy! <laughs> do I need children the Godfather? Probably, but that's like one of the only ones. There's very few mm. like nece- really necessary movies out there. Uh, is this necessary for the story of the Quiet Place universe? Not entirely, but I like it. I just like I, I like it. I like this. Yeah, I I, do, I don't find this a necessary bit of entertainment, but like most entertainment, I just I like the the story and the characters presented here, and I want to experience it again. So no, it's not necessary, but it is fun. Yes. Uh, Letty, I, I know you have strong opinions here. <laughs> well, I guess what I say, what I was asking, is this necessary? I don't I don't necessarily mean is this a necessary work of art to consume. I mean more is this installment, does this give us anything we didn't get from the first one? Anything substantial at all. And I don't think it does. Yeah. Um, I think I think it, it carries a, a lot of the great elements of the first one. It carries through a lot of that hard, that family, that parenthood growing up really beautiful things. But like, if those are already contained in the first one, what is this movie contributing? Is it contributing anything? It's the fruition of their work of the kids, like becoming more like them and becoming yeah, better survivalists. Like, than they it's were. the continuation. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, 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 I would say again, it's a continuation. Like, earlier, dude. I, it's more than yeah. a continuation, isn't it? Like, isn't it, isn't it like, this is, they are stepping from being, you know, like, into themselves or becoming themselves aren't they here like more more than just i guess i would argue that i mean i guess i would argue that the way the first movie ended was the coming coming into herself of the daughter and that sure this movie threshes that out but is this adding something in the first movie marcus he does light the fireworks right but he doesn't you know i don't know he doesn't go toe-to-toe with a creature like I, i thought that was really impressive in this movie um, that he, cause like he spends a whole, the whole first movie being terrified of the creatures. And then he spends most of this movie as well. And so he finally does that at the end. So I guess I'm seeing, I think I'm seeing like most of the characters have some sort of character arc in the first movie, but I don't think Marcus has really a character arc in the first movie. I think he has something of a character arc and then it's finished in this movie in part two. So I think if anything, that's, that's what it is like we get closure on this this other character that we didn't see much of in the first movie and then there's like all this other stuff with you know Emmett and all these other people that we it would have been nice if we delved into it a bit more like we said before but yeah I don't know that's that's the thing that I I like that this movie did but but it's not like I also it's not like I was dying to see that from the first movie you know what about the fact that it sort of shines the, the spotlight on Evelyn as well. Like, I feel like, like this is, this is more her movie than the last one. The last one was, was uh, Lee's movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like we got some, I feel like I got some alien vibes uh, from, or aliens vibes uh, in the, in like those final scenes, which was kind of fun. I don't know. I don't know if that's necessary. Like she's pretty badass in the first one. And like she's doing some pretty yeah. Cool I don't stuff. know if it I would say that this too. is her movie. I would say that this is. Oh. Let me. Why don't you go? Sorry, I was just gonna say I, I don't know if the second one is really Evelyn's movie. 
I think it's more Regan's movie. And Evelyn seems sort of pushed to the background of this movie to me. Like even she's way more active in the first one. You know, her kids are the ones who save her in this movie. So if this had been a movie focused on Evelyn, I, w- I would have been more excited. But I, I think it's not that I'm not happy about a movie focused on the kids. I just don't think it's it's really her movie. Yeah, that that's fair. That's fair. That's a good point. You're right. It's not. And and the first one is like she has a baby and like it's all about like her surviving that. Yeah, that's true. It is cool to see her go like Sigourney Weaver's on that alien's ass. But it, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think based on everything we're saying, it's all it's not necessary. Most of it is contained. Oh, one one thing they do add is Emmett. Based off everything we were saying about Emmett, and how it's kind of like a. Uh, showing the other side of what happens if we can't protect them. I think that's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool that we could have that conversation because you can't have that in, uh, in quiet place part one, I think. That's true. That is interesting to see. Yeah. The, the shell of a man who couldn't protect his kids. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's like cool. kind of necessary. <laughs> not necessary, necessary, but not a little necessary. Yeah. 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 The third one I think is now necessary though. This does not, feel like it's concluding everything nicely at all. So I really want like a nice bow on the on a trilogy. And I hope it's a trilogy. A I nice, they don't a nice bow Bo Abbott? Are you talking about <gasps> the, the kid that died in the first one? When he comes back as an <laughs> alien! Too soon, man. <laughs> oh, man. I, it'd be really cool if there was a third one and it is Evelyn-focused. Um, Evelyn versus right. the, uh, the, the evil people. Evelyn versus the Evil Dead. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. So we've covered a lot of things. We've argued about a lot of things in this one, but I think it's it's time to ask the question here: Is this a dad movie? And then why or why not? So, uh, Dom, why don't we start with you? Is this a dad movie? I think it is a dad movie, but it's only because, like what I said earlier, it goes so well with the first movie. And it's such a nice, again, I, I saw, I, I rewatched the two of them in the same day and I really liked the way it felt, the two of them together. So I think it is just because I'm going to show it to them right after I show them the first one. So I'm just putting them together and saying parts one and two are a dad movie, like a single movie, kind of. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Mike, how about you? Is this a dad movie? Um, no, this is not a dad movie. With the caveat, you know, if the third one's fantastic, then uh, yeah, it'll 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 go in there, you know, by default, not because of its own merits. Um, nice. I think the first one's perfect for for everything that this one's gonna tell tell my kids, and and the reasons I have for that are, are in the last episode. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I, I I'm saying this is a dad movie. Yeah, basically, I. I think there are very few introductory horror movies. I guess we didn't really talk about the how it's a horror movie at all. But it's a horror movie basically the same way the first one is. Um, I don't really think it changes much. Uh, and it's nice to have like a pool of movies for that because there, there aren't a whole lot. Um, so it's actually kind of cool that this is going to be a series. There's going to be a series of movies at this level. I hope they keep it at this level. If it gets like really dark and gruesome, I, I think this will be like a, a no-go. But like right is now, it a, is it a horror movie? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a monster movie for sure. 
Is it though? I mean, it's a monster movie. Yeah. Okay. We don't have time to argue about this. I don't think it's a horror movie. You do. That's fine. Let's keep going. Yeah. I think let us know. Listeners, let us know if this is a horror movie or not. We'll we'll argue it out when part three comes out in a couple years. (laughs) Did we say the first one was? Didn't we all? Yes. Part one is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's basically the same as part one. uh, Is what I'm is what I'm gonna go with. So I, I think it has basically the same vibes. So it's really cool to show them the same sort of like tense action scenes that were from the that were in the first one and this one like being hunted by by a monster and stuff. So I, I like that. I like the fact that uh, that we could have this crazy long conversation about this movie that I didn't think there was much to talk about and we like were like deep diving into lots of things. I think that's really cool. I think my kids are going to appreciate here and that I like, and I like watching every scene here. And even though it's not perfect, I enjoy this starting of the Quiet Place series, and I look forward to what's next. And yeah, I think this is going to be a, a dad movie series for sure. Um, yeah, it's not a dad movie for me either. Um, <laughs> for the reasons I said in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we have so half a dad movie here. Half a dad movie. That's an even. It's an even. So two, two dads, two no. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Two dads. Two place to quiet. Yes. Too quiet to dad. Too quiet to dad. Too quiet to place. Too dad to you place. Know- Too place to dad. <laughs> I will say this movie would be a great one to put on because through it, my kids will be silent and that sounds nice. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. That sounds that like sounds a, great. a quiet place right there. <laughs> <laughs> my house will be a quiet. Yeah. Oh All right. Gosh. Well, I, I guess uh, there you have it, everyone. It's solidly <laughs> half a dad movie. If anybody would like to tip the vote, all you have to do is comment on this, on this episode. And then we will take your vote into account, and at the end of the month, we'll tell you what the results are. <laughs> <I> Please, just... <laughs> if you disagree with us, let us know on all of our social medias or our email or wherever. Argue with us anywhere. We're, we love arguing. I mean, I mean, I've talked. I talked to Vito about this movie pretty recently, and he doesn't like it. So I'm pretty sure it's not. But oh, you no, talked no, to no, him? No, no, it's half a dad he movie. He doesn't exist. Okay. That way. He, he he doesn't like this movie because um, because the creature has killed him is why. So so his yeah. vote doesn't count. Oh, um, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. So it's invalidated. <laughs> it's invalidated. He's dead. <laughs> He's not dead. Uh, He'll be back soon. Everybody, <laughs> if you listen this long. <laughs> You should know he's not dead. He'll probably be mad that we called this half of a dad movie, but I don't know what else to call it. Uh, It's half of a dad movie up there with... uh, We have another half dad movie. Oh, up there with No Ad Land. Yeah, Quiet Place Part 2 and No Ad Land are half dad movies. Um, That's right. That's right. How weird. Anyway, uh, I think we're going to call this a night, though. Uh, From everybody at Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Jesse. I'm Mike. I'm Lenny. I'm Don. Good night!